Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 944 with David Bancroft. The lesson is find a way when you have criticisms coming in and trying to define which one is criticism and which one is a good suggestion and being able to block the noise out and, and listen when people are trying to help you. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef, owner of Acres and Bow and Arrow, Chef David Bancroft. My man, David, are you feeling unstoppable today? Immovable. Immovable. I love it, man. First time someone's been immovable. Great way to get this thing started, but let's get that success quote, get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. What do you have for us? Man, actually, this this comes from yesterday. I was at my son's uh, little travel baseball tournament, and in the championship game, um, one of the little boys was up there pitching, and he got hurt. He dove for a, a, a ball that, you know, a little dinker pop up and skinned his knee and he looked over at his dad, and he's like, Dad, I want to come out. Like, I'm hurt. Like, I don't want to do it. And his dad said, son, you, you two outs. You need, to, you need to finish this. Mm. You got to. And so the little boy got up there, and he, he literally, like, struck the last kid out on a beautiful curveball. And his dad walked out. This was literally yesterday. And his dad walked out and said, you just threw a no-hitter to an 11-year-old kid. He didn't realize it at the time. Nobody, nobody was even talking about it. I didn't oh, even wow. know. And he's like, you just threw a no-hitter. So my quote is, many of life's failures are, are people that did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Mm. And that's Thomas Edison. Wow. And also props to this dad who like didn't like try to freak his son out being like, you're one out away from a no hitter. If he had said that, yeah. do you think it would have changed the game like mentally? Yeah. I don't think anybody had known because he, he actually had walked a kid, oh, okay. got a kid on and the kid scored. And so, you know, that kind of like takes your mind off of everything that yeah. it could be a no hitter. And, but on paper, yeah, it was a no hitter. Yeah. And that, I think, the, I think the underlying message for me though, is like you, we, sometimes we quit just before things take off. You oh know? yeah. And it, sometimes it just takes another inning or another one out or another week or another month of just continuing to show up to get that break. What's going through your mind as I'm saying this? I mean, to me, it's just like, you need one more little nudge out the door one more little like ounce of guts yeah i mean one one more little bit of failure to go succeed mm. you got to spend just a little bit more cash to make it tip over the edge to be successful i mean there's there's just different ways to interpret that but but all of it comes with 
pain, a little bit of failure. I mean, trials, tribulations, things that, that polish us up. And, and I just thought that was great. Having this happen yesterday to an 11 year old yeah. boy crying on the mound. What a lesson. His though. knees bleeding. And he's looking at his dad like, take, take me out. And we're like, man, he's doing great. I mean, let him, let him finish. But do you also judge the dad because he's crying, his knee hurts, and he's 11. <laughs> and so, uh, and then at the end, he was holding the game ball, just kind of looking at it like, nice. I got a no hitter. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome, man. Just, just keep showing up. Mm-hmm. Right? I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And I feel like I need to point out, you were telling me this before we uh, hit record. We were talking before the recording. I thought you were playing in a game. No, I'm old. <laughs> I was like, how is he running a farm, two restaurants, playing in these games? I was like, I need to get into time management with this guy because he must be a beast. But you're coaching, which is still really impressive. Were you coaching? Uh, I'm not coaching this okay. team. I, I, I coach like the, the rec league, but okay. this is a little travel ball team. <laughs> this that, makes a little more sense. I was yeah. like, that's really impressive. It's still really impressive that you had time for your son. But Matt, this, I thought that, that was kind of funny. Impressive. Um, cool. Man, you have a story. You... Or from this area, Alabama, you mm-hmm. moved to Texas, so Austin, Texas, or no, Austin, San, Antonio. San Antonio. Thank you. Um, you grew up there, and you come back. Where? At what point are you like the restaurant industry, food and beverage? This is my path. I mean, I, I guess I kind of have to rewind that one back to the beginning of just the influences, and you know, both my parents grew up in Alabama, and my mother grew up in South Alabama, like right on the Florida line, and. My, my grandpa Kennedy was a, a farmer and he was a, a cattleman, raised chickens, cotton, peanuts, pines. Uh, he was also a fish farmer and he raised, you know, farm raised tilapia, catfish. And so every time we would go to their house for Christmas and be the long dinner table, you know, all the food served in old country crock tubs and cool whip containers and recycled goods and, um, you had food from all the different farms in the area where they all traded like a co-op. Mm. So you had grits from this family or you had zipper peas from over here and everybody traded grandpa for catfish and um, the people that leased a part of the farm gave grandpa venison. And so it just created diversity in our meals. Yeah. Bar and then, system. yeah. And then watching them all sit and eat, that was our experience. And then eventually grandpa went and built a restaurant. Hey, well, he, he built a, a fish house situation where it was a market and you could go and buy tilapia and catfish and that turned into an actual full-scale restaurant where i mean they they built a tank on the side of the building put catfish in it and if you ordered catfish like i want the fried catfish platter they got a dip net (laughs) scooped up the catfish slapped it on a nail skinned it this i mean you know cleaned it breaded it and it was twitching going in a fryer oh man that's fresh. And yeah, which that basically got him in trouble with the health department. You know, you can't kill a fish live in a restaurant. <laughs> it's not like the lobster claw game. Where but you also, get, how messed up is it that we live in a world where you can't do that? Exactly. You can't eat the way you're supposed to be eating, the way we've been eating for as long as we have existed. Yeah. So 100% yes yeah. to everything you just said. And so much so that, that that shaped the way food was for me. Mm. Like, why, why can't it be this way? almost to a point of ignorance where it's just when I got in the game, I, I went to Auburn to study finance and accounting, but growing up in San Antonio, now we've, we've moved away from grandpa on the farm. And now I've got all of this like Mexican cowboy, like, you know, Texas cattle farmer, cattle ranchers, Texas cowboy, like all those influences together over a campfire and everybody's cooking the same. 
it was just like cowboy culture and then yeah. Mexican culture right there being so close to the border. Mm. Um, Texas barbecue, beef barbecue everywhere, beef ribs, brisket. And so, I mean, 13, 14, I started cooking burgers and making my own patties and and grilling out. And then I started doing ribs at 14, 15, started throwing briskets on 15, 16. Um, my parents were like, what, you know, why is he watching food network in there? He's watching <laughs> iron chef Japan and subtitles. Also, how cool is that, that you grew up watching iron chef Oh yeah, and you got to be on the show. I mean, that was kind of like the, just, I, you know, drop the mic and just get <laughs> yeah. out. What do I do now? Right? Yeah. What, what do you do with, what do you do with your hands? Seriously. But, but I love one of the things that got me really excited about getting you on the show is this idea that you aren't traditionally trained. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to people for people to know that you don't need to go, you can be successful in this industry without burying yourself in debt, right? Yeah. But what was it about you and your approach that you think helped you with very minimal experience become successful in the restaurant industry? Or was it that minimal? I don't want to make assumptions. You know, honestly, is it was, I, I just loved to eat. Mm. I loved food. I loved being around it. And, you know, beginning that process of learning how to do Texas barbecue and then seeing Grandpa, Mama Jean at their household in, in South Alabama and the way they did things on the farm, that just created this little incubator of, of what I thought food was supposed to be. Mm. Um, when I wanted deer jerky, I went and learned how to hunt. Had my friends in Texas took me on my first deer hunt. And all of a sudden, now I'm a hunter. Not because I want to go have trophy sheds everywhere and, and mounts, but because I love deer jerky. And I taught myself how to be a butcher because of that and, and how to properly clean an animal. And so all of it literally goes into life experiences where I went to school to go be a hospital administrator like my dad. But I banked left, gambled, followed passion. And literally what everything in my heart and all my heartstrings were tugging uh, and my little, you know, inner person telling me like, go make good food and yeah. go enjoy this and go be happy. But for me, it was also making other people happy. Yes. And, and taking that experience, that, that experience that I had and delivering it to somebody and saying like, what do you, what do you think? Is yeah. that, you're is that bringing, cool? You're bringing back memories for me right now. Like I shot that. Yeah. Cause it's, it's that, exp- like I, I used to love bringing people together and I used mm-hmm. to think that I was passionate about food, but I over time realized that for me, it's, it's the passion of food's power to bring people together and oh, to yeah. make them happy that it's like, it's that reward of, they like this. They, they approve of me when I put in front of them. And that when that happens, what goes through your mind? How does that make you feel? I mean, there was a point in my career where I, I worried more about like, do they like it? Do they like me? Yeah. Am That's I okay? Real, Am I acceptable? To the point where I, I realized that's not why I did this. I did this because whether you like me or not, I love you, yeah. and this is okay. Mm. I want you to come here. I want you to be at home in our restaurant or in my home or whatever it is. I, you know, I don't know if I was ever supposed to have a restaurant. I have one now. I have two. But really, it might as well just been my house because I was going to do this anywhere, anyway, no matter what. Whoever was in my way, immovable, you know, a kind of object that was just a little too ignorant to just be declined all the time. And so for me to go in and just love somebody and present like, you may not care what I'm doing, but I need this. I need to serve you today. And this is for me, not you. So it is for you, but it's also for me. What happens if somebody doesn't like you? Does that, has it ever happened to you? And how did you handle that? 
You know, that, that's that's something that, you know, in my personal, you know, my personal life and my, and my faith and the things that I believe, there's a, a place that I can go to clear those things out and that noise and um, and the things that I'll look for in acceptance. Uh, so it's always tough. Yeah. And I love to say that I can just roll it off my sleeves and it doesn't matter. But yeah, it always hurts. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the secret to that, I think the reason why I'm bringing this up because I think that not everybody, but a majority of the people that, that are in this industry, mm-hmm. what drives us is being liked, is being getting that reward, that instant gratification of mm-hmm. you approve of me, you approve of my food, I'm making you happy. Mm-hmm. And if I'm making you happy, I'm happy. And I think it's important to understand what you just said. If you don't like me, it doesn't matter because I still love you. Yeah. And I'm still going to, and like having that mindset of like, you don't need to love me because I think people. They, they get their ego. So, you know, it's so important to them to be liked by people that it can get mm-hmm. them in trouble. Yeah. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And there's, there's times where even in that same feeling when I'm like, it doesn't really matter if you do like it or not, yeah. or if you do like me or not, because I'm going to love you and love my, my team and, and our, everything that we've built in our community. And the good thing is I don't really have to have you in the restaurant. So I can ask yeah. you to, I can go love you from over there. <laughs> so you go over there. I still love you and yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Like, but just go over there. Don't come here and, and make that happen. So I can protect my staff and I can protect our family and protect our community from those things, the best of my ability. Yeah. But, you know, but especially uh, online, like people write reviews and like we take it personally because it's, yeah. it's not just our, it's not just the restaurant, but it's me, you know, it's, it's my, it's, it's what I created. It's, it's an extension of my beliefs, my values. It's all mm-hmm. these things. I think it's really important for people to not to like, to know that divide and to, yeah. to cause I don't know, man, it's just, we, we, it's important that we get the feedback and we listen to the feedback, but at the end of the day, you have to listen to yourself too. hundred percent. Awesome stuff. So you go to Auburn university, like you mentioned, uh, you, you kind of grew up with this perspective of food being so close to food, the source of food, uh, I wish more people could get that perspective. You're in Austin, not Austin, San Antonio. When did you come back? You came back for, for is your family still in Texas? No, everybody's left now, but both of my older brothers, you know, returned back to Alabama to go to Auburn. Got it. So my oldest brother first, then middle brother, and then I was the third. So the way that landed was a, a doctor. It's nice being en- the baby, isn't it? A doctor, <laughs> an engineer, and then all of a sudden there's the rogue chef. So. so that's that's kind of my question is how did your family handle this? Your dad was in finance, running hospitals, admin, mm-hmm. admin for hospitals. Your doctor, uh, we see a lawyer was the other brother? No, engineer. Engineer. Did your family take it well? Did you get ridiculed? No, I mean, it was uh, nobody understood. And it you know, wasn't really in alignment with, with the way that, our family operates and it yeah. wasn't that anybody was, you know, obviously there it's a loving family, but yeah. it was like, this is college. We just paid for a whole <laughs> lot of it. It's your senior year and you want to go to culinary school. Yeah. And I said, well, in all, in all fairness, I asked if I could leave sophomore year, <laughs> I wanted to go to CIA in New York, the culinary Institute of America and, and Hyde park. And, uh, and you said, no, this is, this is kind of dumb. So go, if you want to do this later, your senior year, let, we'll, we'll revisit that. And, you know, at that point, I'll be honest, like I got a little depressed kind of thinking about that. Like, this is just not fun. Which point? When you're a sophomore or when you graduate? Like waiting all the way through that process to finally get the first chance of, I guess, kind of a blessing. I could have just done it and been a total rogue, but I, I did want to honor my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So, you know, I, I, I did get in after the recommendation saying, why don't you get in a restaurant and do us just, you know, take off a summer and go work in one and let's see what happens. Yeah, that's mandatory now, isn't it, for CIA? I think you have to do at least six months at a restaurant before they let you apply. Or oh, well, probably. I, yeah. I don't even remember. But, you yeah. know, at that point, I but never. It is, it's a good thing that they do that. Yeah. Why is that a good thing? I mean, well, I hadn't. I hadn't even applied at CIA. Mm. I was just saying, like, I'd like to start the process, and um, I eventually never did. I, I contacted the enrollment department once, and then I got you know emails and whatever trying to get tuition as fast as possible. But um, thank goodness I didn't, because it all worked out. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to have some life experience, and they don't want a bunch of people going into a culinary school enrolling, especially uh, you know the Harvard of colleges like the CIA. And then you burn out right when you get there. So they'd rather let you see it and be like, wow, this is not for me. Yeah. Or like, I'm a, I'm a cupcake and I can't take restaurant life. Yeah. Um, home Being a home chef, cooking, following your passion mm-hmm. is a different game from being in a restaurant and trying to be profitable from it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, being, being a home blogger and yeah. setting up the privacy with nobody's in your bubble. The problem is, is that the world's full of people. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you get in a restaurant, and it's full of people that want to come in and mess up your bubble, both staff and and customers on both sides. And I tell my teams all the time, I said, y'all, I can I can like honor you here and protect you here, and and do everything I can to do like and and, and love y'all here. Problem is, the restaurant has a leak, and it's the front door. And once the front door opens, all the world comes in, mm-hmm. and there's not really anything I can do after that. It's just we smile and nod, and we do the best we can do. And um, which you know, you have to find a way to encourage your your entire you know your entire employee base to to honor the guests that are coming in, and accept that they've also had hard days, or they or have triumphant days, or they have failure and success. And um, you, you have to find a way to invest in it. Otherwise, it literally is just playing defense all day long. <laughs> Seriously, though. Yeah. Um, so you didn't go to CIA. I didn't. I didn't see that in your history, right? Did no, you? No. Yeah. Did, did not. Okay. I, that's, that's what I thought. But what? Why not? What was the reason why you decided not to do that? Well, so it, when my father said, "Why don't you, Why don't you get a restaurant job and let's just see if you like it? If you don't finish your senior year, we'll be done and let's go to grad school." Um. Grad school didn't happen either, did it? Nope. If not, <laughs> we'll go to you know we'll go to CIA. And we'll we'll check that out, or or at least finish and graduate, and then we'll we'll go to CIA, and but get a restaurant job first. So I went literally about a mile down the street to a local restaurant, kind of the, the only like you know there's only one or two local restaurants here in Auburn, and now's not the case. Yeah. But then when was then? That was two thousand four, probably five. Got it. Um, Senior year, I, I go in, apply, get a summer job. A year later, all the chefs left, and the owners looked at me like, what, what about that kid? Let's make him the chef. <laughs> and, you know, it literally just happened. How long were you there before they made you the chef? I mean, over a year. Over a year? Barely over a year. Barely over a year. How did you grow? Was there a key mentor here, somebody who really kind of took you under their wing and steered you? You know, a lot of that. Uh, yeah, yes, I did have a friend there who is still a dear friend of mine, and it was a brief time, but but he was the one that I was, you know, like a ping pong ball bouncing all over the place, and and he honed me in and said, like, bro, you need to stop cooking stuff. 
Stop trying to make specials on the side. You need to focus. Just do your station right now for the love of all that's holy. Like, <laughs> stop what you're doing and just focus. I'm like, okay. You know, like <laughs> jittery hands, like, <laughs> you know. But, yes, that was my friend Leo. Um, but, you know, he, he took a, a, a job not not soon after that, and um, I was kind of off on my own. But now you're looking at all of that influence, I said, of Mama Jean's farm, growing up in Texas, going out in the hill country and hunting, going fishing and cleaning fish at Grandpa's farm and watching them the way they live, eating at the farm table, um, watching my grandmothers, picking behind them, yeah. learning how to smoke briskets and low and slow and – when I was in the fraternity here at Auburn, I joined a fraternity to make friends because I was from Texas and yep. all the way to Alabama, and they made me the kitchen steward. So then I was in charge of all the meals every day and watching that little you know situation go every day with just crazy frat kids coming in, destroying a fraternity house dining room and then bailing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had I had training, life training and life skills. I was curious. In what way do you think that that set you up for success? The steward role with the fraternity. Well, I mean, that was, that was just watching an operation that was watching, you know, groceries coming in, goods going out, ordering inventory. It was very, very small scale. And, you know, only a few meals a week, you know, you only did them like Monday through Friday lunch and then it was over. Um, so we could party on the weekends as much as we wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that big of an impression. But all the all the guys that were there during the time, all of them say like, "Man, we just we could tell then, and we could tell then that I would host, I would host little like special date nights when I say everybody go get your grills and line them up in the back, and I would make grilled steak night, and everybody all the brothers would bring a date. Um, so we would do fun things that they all still remember. But to me, it was just like. You know, in the just grind doing thing, you're just doing your thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, were you, how does it even work? Do you have like a budget? Like, I'm assuming that like there's money that you take from all the members of, of the fraternity, and that goes towards a, a food budget. Were you purchasing too? Like, was there? How did that work? Yeah, I mean, uh, most of that they had. We had a, a chef that was hired that would come in, and you know, it was a very part time role. Got it. There was somebody that would come in, then I was I was the kitchen steward, so I would advise and watch the groceries and. Um, I'll say I didn't do a very good job because I was probably twenty twenty one <laughs> yeah. at the time, but um, but you know I got to see a little bit of a very like small scale, and I got to see Grandpa's restaurant. Yeah, we would go in, and as the grandson, I could just walk behind the scenes, and I loved to go in the back of the kitchen. You know, even when I was cool, I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and I wanted to be fishing right across the street at all the ponds. I mean, we had huge bass, huge catfish, so we would literally fish all day, and then we would go in and. I'd watch them at the restaurant. Um, I never worked in it because obviously it was we were in San Antonio, but we were coming up for every special. You got some a few reps at the grandfather's at the grandfather's restaurant, but that never happened. So when you your first role in a restaurant, uh, your first kitchen job is while you're in college, two thousand five, two thousand six, at Cafe uh, or sorry Amsterdam Cafe. That's right. Um, How did like what was it like when you first got hired and you get in there? Was it was it everything you expected what were the things that you were kind of thrown off guard or, or th- that you weren't expecting about the, the industry the first time working in it i mean my, my very first introduction i mean it was like a motley crew it was exactly opposite of what i thought what when i walked in be? 
Well, I was imagining just all the fresh things and baskets of vegetables and, <laughs> and people that are, you know, mongers filleting fish in the back. And, but no, I mean, you know, coming in as a fish farming family, I was, I was a deckhand in college too, out in New Orleans. I would, I would drive down to New Orleans, fly out into the Chandelier Islands, live on a boat, fillet fish all day, cook all day. Um, but taking that experience, the first thing I saw when I walked in was, like IQF frozen pre-portioned packs of red snapper on a sheet tray on top of a refrigerator where the compressor was keeping it warm because they they thaw said it would thaw faster out yeah. there. And I'm like, is this for for real? That's fish? <laughs> That's the fish? Yeah. And after the first few weeks, I'm like, y'all, something smells like, I mean, it just smells bad over here. Like it, what is that smell? Did the fish fall behind? Dude, you nailed it. Like, I'm, I'm like digging. They're like, dude, everything's fine. It's fine. Go back to work. I'm like, bro, like, are you not using your sniffer? Do y'all use your sniffers? Like, that's the first, I mean, that's, that's the first sign. Yeah. And I, I look over and there's a, that. there is like a growing piece of snapper. Oh. It grew legs. It was an amphibious creature by that point. Oh. And it was like, it was growing. It was kind of like the slime from Ghostbusters 2 that goes through the village. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, that's my first impression of a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're dumping frozen pot stickers out of a bag and all all of that in that restaurant. That was the reason that the, the chef, you know, my, said my buddy Leo, he was like, man, I'm I'm not doing this. So, yeah, uh, I feel like this is also around the time 2005, 2006 is also like the peak of when the restaurant industry, as we know, it was at its worst as far as mm-hmm. trying to making it about like lowering your labor expense and how can we streamline process and how mm-hmm. can we get things in and cut a bag open and, and, you know, frozen as much frozen as possible. This is around that period where like, that's the only way you could stay in business is by by cutting corners. But around 2007 was when things started to change. Mm -hmm. When I think you can probably point to like Instagram and the mobile phone of people sharing information and showing what they're doing across country. So no, now no, you're no longer competing with a guy down the street. Mm -hmm. You're competing with a guy on the other side of the country. Because we're all just sharing what we're doing in our kitchen. Oh, yeah. And like information and value and philosophy is spreading faster than ever, too. Is this, did you notice this? Well, I mean, 2007 was a pivotal part of my career. Where were you then? I mean, I was at Amsterdam Cafe. Okay. So at that point, I took over the chef position. That's right. And, you know, I, I told him, like, can I, you've seen some of the features and things I want to do. And, and the other cooks and staff were making fun of me because I was like, can I just get something like a, a halibut or something fresh, a, a grouper? And they're like, oh, he wants beluga caviar. He wants some gold flake. Look at him so so fancy. And I'm like, I just want something like fresh. Yeah. I'll show y'all how to clean it. And and in that transition, I mean, you're right. Before that was pot stickers on the stuff and egg rolls. And I'm like, there's a restaurant called Amsterdam Cafe doing egg rolls and pot stickers. And it didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but people in Auburn loved it. This is a football town. They're yeah. like, oh, more pot stickers. So was it a busy restaurant? Is yeah, it was still going today. It right? was busy, but yeah. it, but on paper, it was not it was not profitable. Yeah. Um, and well, this is something that I've been waiting to bring to the surface. Major finance, mm-hmm. right? Like, how well has that served you in your career? Well, see, I I, I was majoring in finance and accounting. Mm-hmm. But in this transition, after I, you know, I said they offered me the chef job, and I said, "Dad, I'm I'm gonna take it," and I'm on pulse. It's like, bro, you're like right there, and I'm like, but I'm also like right here. Do you say on pulse? 
on a pause. Oh, on paused. Okay. Yeah, I put it on pause and your career. Well, the finance, finance accounting. And, yeah, got it. And I said, let me let me try this. I know we talked about going to culinary school and and all of that, but this if, is your test. This is to see if you, if you yeah, if this it. works, I'm really gonna know. Yeah, this will really burn me out. They're offering me the chef job. Um, I mean, they're gonna give me eleven dollars an hour. <laughs> this is great. And and at that point, I, I took the job, paused school, and never finished. So at this point, I have not. I do not have a degree from Auburn University. Oh, okay. And which is, is, you know, my family is proud. Like we can't believe that this happened. Yeah. But in, in, to me, yeah, I still want to finish. Um, but in, in that, in that transition was like I've got to make this work. So now it's all of my passion aligning with like survival instinct. Like I'm going to do this. Yeah. And and also that ignorance I told I told you about where. I'm just I'm I'm too ignorant to to stop and and say like well why can't we do this and why can't like I just all all of the no's I was too ignorant to to accept them and to say well ignorance can be bliss yeah it cool. gives you that that will to keep showing up well so one of the things I love is is creativity you know my my dad was the the CFO finance and accounting whiz and then my mom was like the the science teacher chemistry blowing up volcanoes and <laughs> molecular everything yeah. so molecular gastronomy here i am like blowing up stuff and then pricing it out properly so mm-hmm. it's profitable um and the restaurant i started bringing in fish and bringing in items and calling farmers and 2007 i, I drove up to birmingham alabama to go to frank stitt's restaurant highland bar and grill and that's Everybody in the South knows as one of the most pivotal Southern restaurants, period. Multiple, multiple James Beard winner. Uh, chefs in his restaurant are James Beard winners. You know, he, he is the legacy and is also a mentor of, of mine now, which I love. Um, but I drove up to his restaurant with the, the girl that I was courting, now my wife, Kristen. But the girl, when, you know, when we were dating, we went up there and... Happy to see that dinner paid off. Yeah, dinner paid off. <laughs> but I'm showing her like this is this is awesome. Like, how do they get all these first names on this menu? And what do you mean by first names, like farmers' first names, like you know Frank McEwen's grits, like different names, Snow's Bend peas, and things like that. And I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. So I came back to Auburn and was like, this is awesome. Like, how do I do this? And you know, you couldn't just you know you, you Googleize anything you wanted. Then you had to like call people and find word of mouth. So I get in the yellow pages and I'm looking up farms and Facebook's, you know, kind of fresh still. And so I get on and I find a farm, call the the shepherd, uh, Mr. Frank and Mr. Randall and say, Hey, can I, can I come out and check you guys out? What what do you have? And he said, we have uh, lamb and blueberries. Also, how messed up is it that in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, this period where you're here, that it's hard as a restaurant owner or chef Mm -hmm. to put those, to connect those dots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like like how far were we removed from the food system at that point where as a restaurant owner or a chef, you can't, you don't know instantly who to get fresh food from in your own community. Mm -hmm. Right. It just, it's just a testament to like how far away we got from food. The worst part about all that is, is that Auburn university is a major major agriculture school. Wow. Everything from the, the meat labs, poultry science, fisheries programs, forestry, everything about 
taking care of the land or, or producing or being a contributor to the food systems that we have. And then nobody knows how to source them around the town because everything was geared towards football, you know, arrival football food and fans coming in, you know, and the, the town the is, bills. the town has over doubled since then. Yeah. Since but, when? Um, I mean, that was, was there a pivot where football kind of took over? Well, no, it's always been, I mean, yeah. Bo Jackson, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll imagine all the, the history of, of Auburn sports programs all the way from, you know, you've got Charles Barkley to Frank Thomas in baseball. And we've always been a football town. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now we're a, a, a basketball town with Coach Pearl. <laughs> but the point of that being is that all of this local economy feasted off football tourism. And, and when 80,000, 150,000 fans would come into town, that's when we thought we would make money. Mm-hmm. And I was too ignorant. Like, well, why do we have to do that? Why don't we just cook for the people that are here now? And they want food. Let's yeah. just make good food. Because everybody here says, well, we got to go to Birmingham to get good food or we have to go to Atlanta. So two hours this way or two hours that way. And it just can't happen here. Mm. And so, you know, here I am now, 2006, seven-ish, going up, having that inspiration, calling, you know, the shepherd. And I walk over to the farm. There's lambs grazing all over the pastures. I'm like, holy crap. This is like being out at grandpa's. It's right here. We could be there in like 15 minutes right now if we left. And it's right there. And I said, so what do I, what do, I do? How do I get this, Mr. Randall? And he goes, you have money? <laughs> yeah, you got to pay for it. I was like, yeah. He goes, what do you want? I was like, I guess lamb and blueberries. I'll do that. That's what you got. He goes, okay. Uh, how sharp is your knife? I'm like, holy crap. So yeah, we're doing this. So literally, I did. You have your chef roll there. I I, I took. I mean, I have my my. If you go to my truck, it's ready yeah. for any kind of battle. Like I'm ready for anything. Yeah. Pull you out of the mud, jump over sand dunes. <laughs> Love that. Coach literally go to ballet. I don't know. Like where I'm I'm ready. Chop up a lamb. Yeah. So I I, I took my first. You know, and I was I, I've hunted, fished, shot ducks and turkeys and and harvested animals instant like that but this was an, an intimate holding a lamb that's been hogtied by the shepherd and and he's just kind of watching over you and i'm like well, I, I better not screw this up and like so many things stopped and went silent while i'm literally taking the life of this lamb i can only imagine what that's like and just an unbelievable moment where i was extremely grateful to, to that living life and like, I mean, it, nothing went to waste and no matter what, it's not an enjoyable moment. It is literally like, I, you know, you're, you're here and we're raised for this purpose yeah. and this is life and I'm not going to take it for granted and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to just mess this moment up and like, take pictures of it and selfies like this because yeah. that, that didn't happen then, but during that whole transition, now I've got fresh food. I mean, I'm, I'm now, the minute that happened in, that, in the farming community, word got out. And all of a sudden, I started getting phone calls and text. Farmers started showing up with baskets of tomatoes and different, different items and their squash they were growing or fruits from their trees. And I mean, it was an explosion where the barrier and the wall was broken. 
So you said as soon as that got out, how did that get out? Was it just you marketing your business or was it farmers talking saying, hey, if you're trying to make some money, you know, Chef David will, will buy it? Well, yeah, yeah, both. But it was just that, that feeling of like, I just went down the road onto a farm, got my groceries. Yeah. I don't have to thaw it out on top of a compressor, <laughs> on top of a refrigerator. I don't have to dump it out if of anything, a bag. you got to cool it down. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I had already made multiple transitions on the menu and the food before this yeah. moment, but that was very pivotal. And at this point, now I've got fresh fish coming in. We're, we're literally mongering our own fish. I'm like, well, I'm going to start doing charcuterie because I love this. I love making my own deer jerky and sausages. So now I'm actually like making, this is, you know, 2007 before charcuterie boards were the craze and farm to table was really like actually titled that it was just Californian cuisine. Yeah. And so now all of this is happening right down the street from where we're sitting and people are lining up at the door and the restaurant. Did this happen overnight? No, I mean, this was like a, a year into my like okay. first year as chef. So now I'm like year two. I cut you, I cut you short. Were you going to finish your train of thought? Do you know what you're going to say? Well, yeah, I'm just saying that, 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 that when I say it wasn't necessarily ignorance, it was just saying that all the things and people that said this, this isn't going to happen. Nobody's going to buy it. We want food from here. Nobody's going to get this. Even the, even the staff at the time's like this, just sell the sandwiches. The sandwiches are what sell. I'm like. You know, it was like the like the bear well, that TV was, show. I know, right? So the the question is going through my mind right now is like, yeah, you're you're getting shit from your your staff when mm-hmm. you took over the chef position when you're fighting against you know just trying to get fresh fish. Yep. How do they handle this? Uh, honestly, did they were they receptive to it as soon as it landed, and they saw it, and they saw that I had the ability to break it down, transform it, put it in their hands, and show them how to cook it. And I didn't have to, I mean, I had books, but you couldn't, you know, you could just Google everything. YouTube. I mean, I think YouTube might've been around, but like that wasn't a habit yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The content that we have today wasn't stacked up like it was back then. Not even near. No, I was, it was a. Today you want to learn how to butcher something like there's no excuse. (laughs) Yeah. So this is. You can learn. At this point was, you know, now, yes, I've got a Scoffier. I've got all the books. I've got. Frank Stitt's book, Chris Hastings' book, who's you know down the street from from Frank, and both those guys leading, you know the whole culinary part of Alabama and, and the culinary charge, um, honestly across the South. So I've got now great mentors in town. Rob McDaniel, one of my best friends. You know, I know he's one of my best friends, but he's also one of my mentors, and he's kicking you know kicking off at Springhouse and. He's looking at me like, who who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> like I went to Necky, I went to New England Culinary Institute and 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 they went to this school and you're just a frat kid that likes to fish and hunt. Like like what's the deal? <laughs> so he came over and met me. He's like, I see you're doing charcuterie. Well, now Facebook's cool. So now it's 2007. I'm literally like taking pictures of all my food and dishes and you know, I'm I tell my wife, you know, I'm like you know, I put this on Facebook today because I thought it was cool, and I put a picture of my food, and like it went viral. Like fifty people liked it. Yeah. It was viral. I bet I mean, that wasn't a word at the time, but I was like, I mean, so many people were like, "Oh my gosh!" and they all showed up. Yeah, and so I just kept putting pictures of food, and I'm like, you know, Facebook and stuff, and now I start doing two specials a night, two, three features, four features, five. You know, I've got like my own little. It's not a tasting menu, but I was doing five special dishes. You know, here's the restaurant. 
And what you all expected has half sandwiches, and the other half is like the bear, the, the new show. Yeah. Like, now I'm doing the other half is my food. I think they did a great job on that show, by the way. Not to get too distracted, but like I, I put off watching it because I was yep. like, they're going to destroy this. They're not going to give the industry justice. Yep. What, what were your thoughts on that show? Not to get too far off track, but you kept on bringing it up. I mean, I had to stop drinking caffeine for a week. <laughs> I was freaking out like, oh my gosh, I have so much anxiety. Watching um, it? Yeah, because there was, there was so many things that, that were in that, when I said Motley Crue, and the resistance, the resistance of it, mm. all of at that point was the resistance, and until the kitchen, the, the the servers resisted and made fun of me for a while, until they started making a lot more money, mm-hmm. and we started doing twenty dollar entrees, thirty dollar entrees, and and we're bringing fish. Literally, I'm flying it in from Hawaii, fresh tuna. I'm rolling sushi. I'm doing all kind of stuff. Like we're we're making bordelaise. All this, so there's like sandwiches. It's like a mullet, you know. Literally, like I'm trying to be the front of the mullet, but there's always going to be the back of the mullet. And so, is the back of the mullet the staff that, that were no the the back of the menu, the oh, sandwiches, okay. the the things that were like the college food, got it, got chicken it, got fingers, it. and the, you know all of the the nachos. There was like just you know. So you, you held it, on to some of the old identity of the restaurant. Yeah, well, the the, the owners. 100% were like, this is our bread and butter. Like, and we are always going to want this. And honestly, like, we have other jobs and careers. We're fine. We don't, we want the restaurant to do great, but it's not that important. We don't really need the money. Yeah. But if you can, you know, this is year, go back to year one when they gave me the job and said, if you can turn it around, we'll give you 10% of profit. I'm wow. like, uh-huh. that's a lesson right there, though. Too. I was like, so we went from, you know, hovering to you know maybe make five to minus five to make five to minus and and i went immediately in to the office uh to the accounting and i and i, I told one of the ladies there who's my friend and i said can i can i get the pnls for the last three years she's like let me let me ask you know the owner if that's okay nobody's ever asked for that yeah i mean again your finance background serving you well here because i don't think most people would even think to ask that question and so i go in rip through the pnls for the last few years first thing i do is i renegotiate well first thing i do is i clear out the junk off the menu and start going fresh then we start what do you mean by junk off the menu like try to clear out the pot stickers and um, there was like a, a bean dip that had canned black beans canned the the low performers things that weren't making money Definitely that, but yeah. but I kept the, the, the number one hit songs of the football food yeah. and then cleared out some of the junk that was like, or at least enhanced it. Yeah. Like there were some, some, the egg rolls that are probably, I'm sure they're still there, but the egg rolls at the time were like the, the small little pre-frozen Got shrimp it. that you would see in like soup. Yep. And you just dump that into slaw mix and put it in an egg roll. And I'm like, so I, you know, adjusted it to lobster egg rolls and made yeah. it change and then i changed the sauce where it was uh orange marmalade and italian dressing stirred together this is for real i'm like I, I've, I've got to i've got to fix some some stuff here so i did and and i changed some things and i didn't just jam and force my you know it was like slowly turning on the nozzle yeah i'm just slowly turning the volume up a little bit i'm yeah. literally i'm tiptoe i'm being respectful yeah and and a i was respectful to the owners you know throughout the entire process but also when you start slowly making changes and then you start slowly seeing profit go up, you know, like if you drop the hammer, it's going to be like a, a oh, shock. Yeah. But if you can, if you can show like, Hey, look, look, look at these little things I did. And then being a numbers guy, you, you're probably showing them on paper 
how the needle's moving, right? You're going to probably have more luck trying to make change if you show them people that then the needle's moving, right? Yeah, well, the so the, the, the very first things that happened were clear out some of the, the, the really big daily business flaws, the things that were like blatant low-hanging fruit, like um, other family members coming in and just taking liquor and taking stuff and, and the things that were entitlement. We kind of subdued that the best we could. And, and I How did you it. approach that, though? It was, it was difficult. Um, I'm thinking of the person that's listening to this right now who might be in that situation where they might have been just handed the reins to a restaurant and say, say, you know, run the show. But maybe like you, they have a little fire in their belly. Maybe they're not okay with the status quo and they want to make changes and make it better and improve the numbers. How do you, how do you find that balance of making the change, but also not being disrespectful? I mean, you have to approach it. If you're going to succeed in a restaurant, you have to stare that in the face. You know, it's like having a, a, a massively disgruntled manager front or back of the house. And it just makes life terrible for everybody. And you're like, but they're so, they're so good. Yeah. But their numbers don't perform and their attitude doesn't perform. And you're, you're, you're more like, and I'd, I've done this. I've created more fear and anxiety about, will I be able to replace that person? Like, is that an option? Like how, how much stress will this add if I, if I remove this? Am I, am I too dependent on this person? Yeah. Process? And so, and then all of a sudden, you, you make the decision, you, you face it, you face your fears, you get over the hump and the entire work environment becomes more productive and, and happier and, you know, or, or in situations where you have other, you know, like the owners, offsprings and family coming in and just taking things or, or asking for food with no bill and check. And it's just like a slow bleed. Yeah. And you have to go plug the wounds. So what, how did you approach that? How did you approach the owners and say, or did you just start cutting people off? No, I mean, I, I went respectfully. These are, you know, we would have, I wouldn't say like evaluations because they were really, like I said, they were just hands off. Like we love it. We're coming in. We're getting our gin and tonics. Run it. Here's the keys. Um, and they had, they hired me a manager for a little bit. I had a manager. They were like, you know, he was the kitchen manager. Um, he eventually got let go. Uh, but he was there to kind of help watch me and guide me and, so while he was doing that, that's when I was just cooking my pants off, like pop, 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 just special, special, special feature, 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 and just putting my food out, putting it on Facebook, created my voice because I wasn't really going to be allowed to have one there and nobody was going to invest in one for me. So I just found the little Facebook outlet and started existing over there. And all of those people started coming in and they started buying those more expensive dishes and doing all of those things. And yeah, and then we started kind of picking off the attitudes one at a time. Like you said, just slowly turning up the volume to where it's like Novocaine. You know, you inject it and eventually it's going to kick in and it's going to work. Um, so picking off the attitudes, people that were attesting what you were trying to do? Well, but but the ones that were already like just just what? loud and flagrant and noise and abrasive. And yeah, it was a college town. I mean, like I said, it was a motley crew. It all existed. And, and, and in times, I caught myself doing it. Doing what? Like getting mad or like, you know, Rick, because everybody there, rah, if you were the loudest, then yeah. like you got your point across. And um, I had to spend time untraining that from myself and, and realize like that's what I protect my staff against now. But but going through those experiences, 
and then being too fearful to actually a- approach the situation and stand up to it. But all of those changes, that restaurant went from minus 5,000 and was averaging about 30,000 a month, a sandwich shop. And so there were 5,000 losing 5,000 yeah, in the red and now they're profiting in the black 30,000 a month. Yeah. I don't know how they're doing now. This but has been X amount you, of years ago. You left. Yeah. So, you know, cause I had all the P and L statements from, yeah. from then on moving forward. And that's what I built my entire business off of. But I'm, I'm, I am curious about like, you can go get inspired from cookbooks and go to the restaurants. Where were you learning about how to do menu engineering and how to price a menu item? And, and to, were you baking in profit when you were putting it on the menu or were you just looking at what other people are doing and matching the price? I mean, at, at first I had to kind of keep it approachable and I had to gain the trust. But, you know, as, as people began to get the dishes, it happened very quickly. I mean, it was like, boom, people just started buying what I was making. And all of every single bit of that is what led into people following me right into Acres doors. Yeah, um, we haven't even started talking about Acres. 2013. We're still leading up to that. Well, well, yeah, but this is the most. This is my culinary school. Yeah. My culinary school happened right in front of me, and I was trying to do all of that without my father. And I was trying to prove to him, like, I can get this. I'm ripping through these P and Ls. I'm running this business. I'm going down. I, I renegotiated all the contracts from all the vendors. Where'd you even learn to do that? It just freaking happened. Wow. I mean, it literally was just like, well, this is stupid. Like, why are we paying for this much? And so I just started. And then I then it's like, it got addictive. Like, yeah. I just, like, I got like, I just, you know, shaved $5 a month off of this or whatever it might be. It's something probably more than that. Yeah. Well, you know, every little bit. Take three, take three cents off a linen napkin. Yeah. Take, take, you know, I switched companies to a different trash pickup and then also renegotiated and found a different oil and grease pickup that would come in and pay me because they recycle it. Mm. So we went from paying out for you to pick up our grease trap to now you're paying us. Yeah. And so things that were like everything going out, now there's things coming in. Mm-hmm. And so much of that contributed to the success of it. But we were asking like the resistance. To change. Yeah. People don't like change. The resistance of that slowly came around as all of the cooks at the time began to get their hands on these items. The servers began to make money. They were passionate. They were sitting there with forks mm. during lineup, like waiting. Like, What's coming out today? Yeah, like, did y'all see? He got an opaka pocket in, or <laughs> he got an opa, a giant ass moonfish this big. It's the stupidest looking thing I've ever seen. You know, or he brought in, the, I call him dorkfish, but like hog nose snapper. <laughs> they got the little beak, like Howard the Duck. Yeah. Um, and they were just excited. During that time, in 2007, 2010, and I'm not kidding, but 10 to 12 of those cooks went off to be executive chefs, go to CIA, corporate chefs. They are all of them leaders. Yeah. Every freaking one of them. There's in, I mean, they're in Colorado, some went to New York, some are in Miami right now, several in Atlanta, Nashville. I mean, like all of that alumni during that time went off to be champions. That's awesome. That's so, the best feeling right there. Yeah. So you think about, was it right or was it the resistance? No, no. Some of those people actually, those cooks came in as like frat kids that were rejects or college kids that were dropping out and they landed in the right spot at the right time. And we're like, that. this is what I'm doing. Ultimately, what 
what how did you leave when did you know it was time to leave and do your own thing because we're up to 2008 there's still five more years before you open an acre like what was going on yeah so i mean you know this is still life lessons just pouring in this is this is going back to my father saying when i left for college from san antonio he said son don't trust college kids don't lend them money don't lend anybody money i'm like okay it sounds like pretty harsh but you are a money and finance guy and you've been burned plenty um you know operated multi-million dollar hospitals and yeah so i'm thinking now like there is i am vulnerable in life i'm not untouchable right i'm not immovable i am going to be like privy to punishment and, and maltreatment from other people and i just need to be cautious and be aware i'm not going to live my life with my guard up all the time but those experiences definitely hardened a little bit. Um, but I always made opportunities available for, for my team at that time. Um, and then getting through, like now, now we're on cruise control, the restaurant's banging. And we had a sound recording studio behind it. Really? Because some, some of the kids that were coming in, taking all the We're not talking about Acre. We're talking about Amsterdam, Amsterdam Cafe. Behind it. The children had, you know, when they were like 18, 20, they were playing music and they yeah. wanted a sound recording studio to record their work. And, and then they moved on to something else and something and they just sat there and it was our dry storage. So I go through and I, I wanted to go to school for architecture at one point. So I'm like, I, I get with one of my old frat bros. I'm like, I drew it up. Like, is this doable? And he goes, did you draw that? I'm like, yeah. He goes, can you make it look better though? So I can show it to the owners. So then I go present this expansion. So now I've gone through and I've, I've put together a full like like staff pro- staffing projections, what I need to hire, the whole like performance schedule, what we need to do to do this expansion. I don't know how much it would cost, but I show them and walk them through. I brought the wife first, the owner's wife, and she's like, this is amazing. I'm like, <laughs> and so boom, but now we're in construction. I've convinced them to expand, um, had this whole area. I kind of drew it out how it would lay out. And of course, architects came in, tweaked it, yada, yada. So now I'm part of construction and like advancing a restaurant and seeing it like come to fruition. Mm. And all of it's teaching me like there's not a roadblock unless you literally force it and put it there. You just have to have enough vision and you have to have enough <laughs> ownership, right? Yeah, it's stubbornness to yeah. keep pushing through the block. Yeah. Um, so we do this expansion and, uh, Granted, the owner's wife got in and, and like heavily influenced the overall design, interior design, and it was a disaster at the beginning, and it did not look. So they've already redone it, wow. and it's beautiful now. Um, so when did this re this uh, redesign happen? This expansion happen? Uh, this was all like right as the economy is starting to do bad. Two thousand eight, and so now the, the owners are, or they have construction companies, law firms, different, different things that they do. They have their own like business office where they have all of their in-house accountants and, and managers and they start letting them go and peeling them off, shutting companies down. And I'm kind of fearful, like, wow, I mean, they're all of the friendships I've made within the overall company, like the whole group. Was there more than just this, just this one restaurant? With well, they owned a country club and okay. a golf course, got it, got it. but it was doing like, you know, they eventually expanded it too. Um, 
But at this time, no, I'm talking about like the construction groups, the the accounting offices. I've made friends with these people. They're just closing because the economy's bad. Economy's bad. They're downsizing, and but we're going the other direction. Mm. And I'm like, I mean, we are just now we're just averaging thirty to forty thousand dollars profit. We had some months that obviously went down, but I'm like, we're like, and I'm happy. I'm I am proud to present this every single time the owners ever came in. They always got my food. And I always delivered it. I always, with honor, regardless of what was happening or them hitting headlines about, you know, there was a moment up there hit headlines about tax evasion and things mm-hmm. that I'm like, just none of my business. Yeah. I'm going to keep honoring and just keep bringing their plates. And then as it got through like 2010, uh, I'm, I'm fired up like y'all. I've got an idea for another restaurant. We can buy this stuff next door. Or we can do another one. But I know for a fact I can I can staff and manage this one, keep the level at par. We can go do another one, small, big, whatever. One of the one of the, the owner's brothers is totally in. We start designing, creating, talking, and we met a few times and there was another investor in town that was gonna jump in. He was partnering with so many items with the brothers already. He's a builder. Eventually built this. Um he wants to jump in. He's like Let's do this. I've so got was this. This what you're talking about is the the vision for Acre starting to come to fruition, but it never happened with the other. Re- yeah, at that point, it had no name, no land, no nothing. It was just me saying, "On to the next, yeah, onward, forth into the storm. Let's go." And eventually, as they were, they, they're still downsizing and doing all their stuff. My wife and I had just got back off of, of paternity leave. We just had our first son. About a month into it. Um, Walker was a month old and Chris and I are excited thinking like, we're going to do another restaurant, help them out. I'm just making salary. I didn't ask for any ownership of it. And they pull in the office. They're like, you know, you need, you need to go, you need to go do that. Uh, we want to make you available for you to go do that. And so we're, you know, we encourage you. We can get you with some other partners. We, we, we can't do that right now. Um, but we don't want to stop you. So this is good for you. You need to go and, and, Go follow that dream. And, was this their way of, of yep. basically firing you and, and, and making it about you chasing your dream? It's pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you could make it cushy. I can try to soften the blow. But then I kind of remember the way that, truly that, that, that they were. Yeah. And it was unfortunate that after, after all of that, delivering plates and all the, the dream and the fun and honoring, I cleaned it up. And for six years you know, you're delivering all that. So they're trying, then they, they took me to 45 minutes, an hour away. And, and, you know, and I, and I entertained it for a minute, let one of the owners drive me over to go meet some other investors that wanted to build this thing and make me a restaurateur, not in this town. And so then I'm kind of like, you know, why don't y'all like not even a part of this anymore? Definitely bailing. Like we're all gun ho having meetings. The vision that you had for the new restaurant. The vision. Yeah. And it wasn't even Acre. It wasn't even this big. So yeah, I mean, you talk about being burned and I've got a month old at the house. So I convinced him, I'm like, I mean, let me just stay for a month. Give me one month of like... At Amsterdam. And like, let me stay for a month to just kind of... I mean, at least honor me with that. I honored the heck out of y'all. So what, what, what did you want this month for? 
it, it just bought me another month of time just to figure out where, what you're going to do next Yeah, for finances. Yeah. I mean, and, and to save some face. And so now I'm like, well, this is awkward. And this is like the biggest hurdle of, of what's going to be my career. I can either say, wow, people are not nice. You can't trust people. You can't trust success. You can't measure success. You can't put all of your weight and waiting for that or expecting that that fill, that fill your cup because it all was there. I just got married, had a, had my first son, and then now I'm literally like out trying to get an investor. So I go to my the guy that built this restaurant for me, and I sit in his office. I'm like, yo, they're ready to you know, make a move. Let's, let's go do it. Are you in? He goes, oh, I'm in. I'm like, okay. Then we were going to go right over here to this old train station. And I think that's the good spot to take our break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk okay. about how you made it happen. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And you just started getting to the point where, you know, you, you got left in the dust from this restaurant. I don't know if you can call them a restaurant group, but your 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 boss, I guess, your your bosses. Uh, it's the uh, downturn of the economy, 2008. They're shutting everything down. They're, they're shredding, you know, costs, essentially. And they say, you have these visions. You have to go do your own thing, but it's not going to be with us. And you reach out to your designer, your builder. That's where you left off. That was two. You know, after 2010, it was actually early 11 when that happened. So 2011, we're we're parting ways now, and you know, I, I, and I I elect to obviously out of out of pride. I didn't want to talk about it at all, so I definitely didn't slander. I definitely didn't say anything bad, and I'm still not going to do that here. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously the state of the facts. It was what it was. It was yeah. not cool. Yeah. But I still honor them because they still gave me a chance and gave me the keys and allowed me to do culinary school on their dime and they paid for it. 
and I can't re- I can't repay that favor. Yeah, they literally paid for my culinary school, built my career, did all of the things they did, and then they set me free like a bird to go fly. Yeah. So, did they mean that when they said it? Really, no. But did it happen? Yes. Did, so, I, did they send you the Neko? To Neki. Neki. No, no, no. Well, no. I mean, what I'm okay. saying is, I was curious if that was the school of hard knocks. Gotcha. What I'm saying is that in that in that term of 2005. You know, to mid 2011, I stayed for six, six and a half years. Is that in Denver or Dover, New Hampshire? Neca, Necky? Was it in Dover, New Hampshire? It is up there somewhere. You were like a neighbor to me for a little while, man. Well, I didn't, even, I didn't go to Necky. Oh, you didn't go? I thought you, 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 oh, I thought you mentioned that earlier. No, no, no. I was saying that I never went to culinary school. Okay. Ever. Okay. So all of that was my school of hard knocks. Um, but, but deciding if I was going to go to CIA or go to Necky gotcha, gotcha. or go to one of those. That was that was my only two targets were those culinary schools. Got it. But instead, I got to do that in that restaurant down the street, all the way through, where I finished up business school, finished up culinary school, finished up marketing class, all on their dime. Marketed myself. There's something to be said about that. Oh yeah. You also made them a lot of money in the process. I made them a lot of money, <laughs> delivered their plates, and honored them, and yeah. and still do. Yeah. Um. So now I'm over, I'm about to, you know, I'm starting this dream, still has no title. I go over and, and now the, the builder who's kind of set the seed in place saying like, we need to go do this. Like, I want to do a restaurant. It's going to be awesome. Um, and so I'm like, let's go look. He wants to look at this train station. We get over there and I'm like waiting. Now my, my time is like slowly dwindling. My finances are dwindling and I'm waiting for him to just say, yes, like, let's go. And... And I'm, you know, he's, he's now like brushing me off for a week, two weeks, three weeks. And I'm like, bro, like you're not in a hurry. Yeah. I'm in a hurry. I need a paycheck. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> we got to do something. And so I'm literally, I'm, I'm praying about it now. Now I'm like, now is where I say I have somewhere I go with things. And now I'm praying about it. Like driving up to this little train station down the street, like a block and a half over from here. I'm like, just give me an answer. Yes or no. Make it blatant no. Slap me in the face. I'll be happy. At least I know I'm not sitting around here waiting in la-la land for some other, somebody else to control my fate and whose ADD is all get out. And I get over there and I'm like, you know, any answer. I'm prepared. Like my heart, my posture, everything is prepared. Like, just tell me yes or no. Black or white. What is it? Like, nothing gray. And we get over there. He jumps out of the truck, kicks the dirt around, shuffles the rocks for a minute. He goes, eh, I don't want to do it. Hey, man, but I got another meeting. I got to go. And I'm like, there's your answer. <laughs> Bye. Okay. That's hey, but I do want to build your restaurant when you're ready. And I'm like, okay. But literally, he jumps off, takes off in his super expensive truck. And I'm like, I look up like, huh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Also, no, but yes. And so... At this point, I have, I have all of these things prepared, all of this P&L statements and the items and things that I've collected that, that show my track record and my history and what I've done and what I can do and what I can accomplish. And, um, and this is a good I – mean, I want to pause right here because what you're, what you're doing is you're bringing something to numbers, proof, evidence to the mm-hmm. bank saying, I'm a good bet. This yeah. is what I can do. This is what I've done. And they're going to ask for these things. They're not going to just – give somebody with no restaurant ownership experience mm. 
the keys to their own restaurant. They're gonna they want to see numbers. They want to see that you can move the needle and that they're gonna make money off of you. Of course, yeah. Uh, they 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 need a safe bet. Yeah, they're, they're not just gambling on the on whatever racehorse with the best odds. They're so saying keep this in the back of your mind if you're listening to this and you haven't opened your restaurant yet. What evidence? What numbers? What data can you put away? Can you make a copy of so when you are ready, you can show over time that you can move the needle and that you can be a success. I mean, it's like a, a baseball card. You flip it over and you have all your stats, stats on the back. Exactly. It's like, I'm not trading this baseball card to you. This one's awesome. Yours sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at the stats on this one. Yeah. And this guy's a bad attitude. He's in the news all the time. It's Dennis Rodman. <laughs> but honestly, Dennis Rodman's stats are really good. Like, do you want that? I mean, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you have track record. Nobody's going to give you money if you're literally Joe Schmo out there and you don't have a track record. But. So now at this point, I told you I was trying to do all of this without my father and, and prove myself that, that this is and can still be good. And, and so now I don't have a choice. And, and, and the more I prayed about it and the more I came to peace, like I, I need him. He's a wizard. He is extremely wise. And never in this process did they offer to go pay for a restaurant or anything. He just said, let me see all the numbers. Let me see everything you're, you've put together. And he was saying, well, let's just – we'll." I hope you put it together in a package, you know, and clean it up some because obviously that's what he does. He was an auditor for a while too. Yeah. I mean, so let me clean it up and, and let's so we can get it presentable and, and get you an investor, you know. And and so now we're putting together this whole packet and and that was the same little kit that we had shown to the builder that just denied me and is like, hey, but I still want to build it and um and as the the more and there are people that are contacting me, there are investors like, hey, we're in. This is great. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I just don't want to work for other people. I don't want to be a part of a gamble somewhere where they're trying to get it kickstarted. The only following I have is here in Auburn. And if I built a, a hut tomorrow, they're going to come to get the food. Mm-hmm. They're going to follow me. If I put it on Facebook, hey, I'm doing Boston butts, come to the butt hut. But you didn't do a hut. Yeah, well, I didn't do a hut. <laughs> well, so what happened was as, you know, and... So, so in this, and obviously now I've, I've brought my father in and he is a wizard. Best thing I did was, was invite my family back into it and allow their leadership and influence and, and charisma, creativity, because, you know, I was trying to do it by myself. And a lot of that was, was ignorance, not, was sorry, not, not ignorance. That's the wrong word. A lot of that was, was ego. Yeah, pride, ego. ego, and pride, and and trying to prove to them, and but life, I mean, gosh, you can just run yourself into the ground if yeah. that is the only thing that you care about, and and family, as we all know, is obviously always priority, and now you're looking at this whole transition of restaurant industry, making family valuable, yeah, making life more important than than everything you see in, on a daily basis, but now my my dad's going through the stuff, and he's like. Dude, this is really imp- like really impressive. Like this, because you didn't let them in until this point, so they didn't know. They just thought you were, you know, running a success. Uh, you turned a restaurant around. You're a part of turning a restaurant around, but they didn't know yeah. the numbers. They didn't see the work you did. This is them. You showing them. This is what I've been up to for the past what seven years. Well, I mean, they you know they've obviously come up from San Antonio a handful of times, come yeah. eaten and dined, and but you didn't show them the P and L. Yeah, so I didn't like I was I was always telling them some yeah. cool stuff. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, we make such and such profit. This is great. And hey, I got a raise. And I mean, but this is the first time they see it on paper. Yeah. I'm I'm not not in communication. Yeah. Love my parents. Tight family. But I'm not. I, I just I didn't want a handout. Yeah. I didn't want a handout. I wanted to prove it. Yeah. This is something I bring. I mention a lot on the show. Like, don't ever be ashamed of your privilege. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. if you have privilege, and a lot of us, all different people, have privilege. You know, use everything you have. Mm-hmm. You know, leverage whatever assets you have, whatever relationship you have. You need an army. You need a family to to, to execute this. And if you have that, yeah. If you have that benefit, then why not use it? I mean, it's it's like if you were a major league pitcher and you know that you can hit 100, 100 miles an hour, but you just don't. And you're like, I just don't. Let's not let's not throw that. Yeah. Today, you know, I. I, I can sorry. Did you finish your train of thought? Well, I just say like if you have it in your deck of cards and it's available, why would you not take every advantage possible? Why not throw it? Yeah. Yeah. Why why not accept every advantage that you have? Exactly. Now, for some people, that looks like hey, here's here's a million bucks. Go have fun. See ya. Yeah. And some people, it's like you know, hey, I'm just going to give you my company. Enjoy. I'm retiring. We're going to Fort Lauderdale. But in this case, this is like. You know, my my own family saying we don't want to get in restaurant business, and I was I wasn't even inviting them in, but I did it finally and said, Dad, I need your skill. You are the fastball. Mm-hmm. I can throw hundred miles an hour with you. You can get me over the hump, but I need you to look at all this and and going through. And he helped me prepare and get ready for all of these investor meetings and and try to find somebody to invest some capital and get us off the ground. And you know, I wrote the whole business plan. And all of a sudden, I call a few people and I'm, you know, once again, praying about it. And immediately, people start calling me in town, knowing that some things are not quite working out. The mayor, the, like the tourism, local tourism department, and they're like, go talk to such and such. Hey, go see somebody. Let me get you in touch with them. I, we got like, go see my husband at the bank. And handshakes started happening relationships community where i invested into the town it began to invest and pay back into me and everything started aligning and my dad looked at it and goes i mean this is just good i i might be a little interested and i'm like well hot dang okay what do you mean like a little it's like i don't know like what if we did such and such like this and we went and you know and 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 if and he started like aligning it all and blah 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 and he's like and then there's these tax incentives out there there's this this and through my conversations with the city said we can give you tax incentives to come in and, and build we want new businesses and new life and um, things started aligning to where all of a sudden my dad said I, I'm I'm in wow I'm like okay like you want to invest he's like so with the money that I've got the money that my dad's got we're like well we still don't kind of have enough but so we go back in and he's like why don't you call uh Uncle Michael. And then call Mr. Jim from the hospital. Like my dad was the CFO and he's like called the CEO, which was like my uncle growing up. Yeah. He played for Texas A and M, six foot five, three hundred, you know, two hundred and seventy five pounds, big Aggie. I used to lay on his belly and watch Aggie <laughs> games. I mean, he's Mr. Jim. Yeah. I call family and they're like, and in this is great. And I'm like, holy crap, we got a this team. Is happening. Yeah. So now family's in. Everybody has their percentage ownership. I mean, now we're in a situation again where, boom, we get off the ground, restaurant's successful right out of the gate, and I'm honored 
at their ownership, I'm honored that, that the, the return on investment that they're receiving, I'm honored in it every day. I'm honored that they get their investment for getting me off the ground. Whereas some people would say, well, I'm entitled to some of that. I mean, I'm the, I'm the, so these investments, were they just cash investment investments with a percentage or was it like, uh, was it more of a like equity in the business? Well, I mean, yeah. So they, they all own their percentage of the business and the real estate. So eventually what happened is we, we moved three times. We tried the train station then we moved from the train station across the street and tried to do this old house. And then that, that fell through. It didn't necessarily fall through. We were just trying to f- force it to happen and, and redo this old Victorian-style house. Um, and then this lot dropped in price severely. You're like, well, what if we, instead of doing a renovation, just started from the ground up and just built it the way we wanted? I'm like, well, that price of land is a little high, but then the builder comes back and he goes, well, I'll buy the other half of it. We'll get you guys going, and then eventually I'll come and I'll build on this pad over here. Um, yeah, the big lesson I'm getting right now, and I'm hoping that the listeners are picking up on this too, is this idea of just you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with, right? And like you can be great on your own, but once you start tapping into that network and sharing your vision, and you put the, dil- the due diligence in to, sh- to to get the experience, to to, sh- to show your track record on paper, to, sh- to share your business plan, like things start to unfold. You know, when mm-hmm. you put the work in, but you, why would you limit yourself to, to to not having access to that network, to not leverage these relationships? Oh yeah, to share your vision, like that's that's when like collaboration is powerful. Is like you know, I think I recently heard collaboration isn't like. Like it's it's like having the same vision, having the same destination, and working together to get there. And when you become an asset, like other people are going to invest in you because you're going to make them money. You're going to like you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. it, it makes sense to partner with you. You're an opportunity. Become the opportunity, right? And leverage those relationships and go further together. I mean, I, I think it's important to point out that yes, I, I do have experience in finance and accounting and marketing and, and a business sense, but it, it, you know. Don't be mistaken that that I'm not the pro in any of those categories. And so I went in and, and sourced the pros, which happened to be my father in this case, and where where I understand Klingon, but he speaks it mm. and he knows it. And I was like, you know, I can do this and I can wing it and I can get through and I can find my way through another country, but he can just go right to the heart of things. And so when you're talking about bringing in the right relationships and and having the right people, but also sourcing out the right mentors Mm. and not letting your ego get in way. Yeah. So my, my father's obviously mentors in a lot of areas in my life. I mean, he mentors a lot of those, those categories. However, I have mentors in so many other lanes that I go to when I'm looking for certain areas or certain things or, um, so building those relationships and, and finding ways to be able to speak multiple different languages and having multiple different mentors is almost in a way making you bilingual in multiple languages. Yeah. You can get as far as you want to go and you can keep telling yourself, I am this good. I'm super awesome. Look at me and my ego. I'm a business person, an entrepreneur, but there's always people that are better than you. And you're a fool if you don't tap into that resource. Yeah. You're a fool if you don't say, why would I go to another country without a translator? You are fluent here. Come with us. Yeah. This is great. 
hop on board. Why do you think people don't do that? Do they just not see it as an opportunity? Are they afraid that they'll just be turned away? What, what, what do you think holds people back from extending the first, you know, olive, was the olive branch leaf branch? Yeah. Or like just opening up that branch. Yeah. Opening up that channel, that, that new relationship. I mean, I think obviously the most blatant one is, is ego. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are just dictators yeah, and just want to have, and feel like they have to have full, full total control Yeah, and can't let the power go. So there's ego. That's like, I don't need it. I'm good enough. And then there's the other part that's like, like, I don't want anybody else in my way. Like I'm the smartest. Yeah. Just don't like, you know, it's, that's more of a, a solid wall of defense. It's impenetrable. Um, typically when you can break that down on people, you'll get a, a huggy bear, teddy bear on the other side, but it seems brash. Um, you know, and then obviously the other is just people that are unaware, unaware that they have slow bleeds in columns and, and then slow bleeding in areas where they could fix it if they would just ask for help. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times, especially from the outside looking in when other entrepreneurs or business leaders come in and, and they look at your operation and then, and they say, well, why aren't you doing this? And you're like, I don't know. I am now right now. Who do yeah. I call? Like, well, I can do it for you. Like, yeah. Will you do that for me? <laughs> like, yes, I don't know you, but that sounds amazing. Mm. But so I mean, obviously you have to have trust in that. You have to trust people that you open up and invite into your operation. But you have to extend trust before you get trust too, you know? And I think people like, but if you lead with that mindset of abundance, of willingness, of open-mindedness, mm-hmm. it just, things t- tend to pour in faster. Yeah, I notice. This is something I'm trying to be better about too, which is putting it out into the universe. I think letting the universe know that you need help. Mm-hmm. You know, the universe can't give you the help you need unless it t- you tell it what you need. Perfect example in my right. story, like Sam from SavinSam.com, videographer. I announced on the show that I was looking for a videographer that I needed help scaling that that side of my business, and that I'm looking for somebody. Yeah, and then lo and behold, the universe prevents. You know, it shows you the help. It gives you the help you need, but you yeah. have to. You got to you have to ask for it. You have to put it out there. You have to I mean, open the door. You got to plug the umbilical cord in somewhere. You got to yeah. go plug your charger in if you want life for your phone. You you have to go seek an outlet. Yeah, you have to go seek power and seek the source and find it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't just sit your phone there and like, please charge. Yeah, and then also get your ego the fuck out of the way. Yeah, like, hey, look at <laughs> look at my safe. Like, please fill with cash. Fill with cash. <laughs> Now's good. Yeah. Now's good. <laughs> or now, but. So much, you know, we, we just talked and tapped on some of those personality traits that are obviously flaws that we're all struggling with and myself too. Um, but entitlement, that's the worst. And is the people that, that have entitlement that, that leeches in and creates all of those other categories, ego, this defensive walls, dictatorships, because they're entitled for success and, and they are owed it or the city owes it or their staff owes them more hours or you know, I mean, the United States is the worst. We're so entitled right now. Everything in social media tells us it's okay. You deserve it. You should have it. This is awesome. Just open your hands. We'll put it there. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Like, no, the world is out to freaking kill you. Like, they, they, it wants, they want your business. They want your building. They want you out of it. Somebody else wants to lease it. They want you out of the way. They want to make the money that you're making. They want all of your staff, all your employees. And I mean that with love in my heart, but 
everything in this world is designed to die and to fade and, and dissolve into dust. It is what it is. So yes, go plug into the life sources, go seek help while you can go find your mentors, like love the staff while you have an opportunity to invest and in, invest in them and watch the return on that investment, invest yeah. in your team. So don't this, be entitled for let's it. Let's get into some of that stuff. So you, I mean, it's worth pointing out 2013, you open uh, then by, I think it was either 2014 or 15. You start getting your first James Beard nods for best chef Southwest Southeast uh, Southeast. Thank you very much. We're in the Southeast. Um, Wait, 2014, 15, actually, 16, 17, 18? South. South. What did I say? Southeast? Well, you said Southwest. I so, corrected and said Southeast, which is also not right. Just South. Just South. Just South. Yeah, which is like from Texas all the way through Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. Okay, gotcha. So was it 2015, 16, 17, and 18 you got nominates, nominated? I, I, 15, 16, 17. I think you got like four 18. in a, a row, right? And then That's food, right. Food and Wine Spectator was giving you a bunch of recognition all around this time too, or until, to this day recently. I think that up like yeah, wine 20, spectator is yeah. our wine director and sommelier Samantha is amazing and has now got us the two cups for multiple years in a row. Which just means, you know, that, that is it is it was already recognized and now it is recognized as like part of the elite, yeah, um, which is great and you know and obviously we're we're still maintaining that quality and, and level at uh, of the James Beard and I'm still partnered with James Beard in so many ways, but. I have two restaurants now and 80 employees at Acre and 70 at Bow and Arrow. And it, it, that in this economy right now with staffing problems and this and mm-hmm. grocery bill problems and um, post COVID and all that, there's just more important things than me going after, you know, my ego driven award. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not necessarily fighting for the James Beard Wait, nominations anymore. that. No, they you know what I mean. Those to you? you don't. You don't earn those. You gotta. <laughs> well, no. If you hold your hands out like this, it, it, they'll put it there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same idea with anything. Like you got to put it out into the universe. You gotta, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta, you gotta shake the universe to get yeah. some I mean, attention. You gotta sometimes shake the tree and see if fruit. Hey, falls I'm here. Off. You know, and that, yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make those opportunities for yourself. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that you started getting a lot of. This is a success. Yeah. What you built, what you're doing is a success. Uh, what are the lessons you learned? Like, what are you talked about creating opportunity for your staff? You mm-hmm. talked about you know using your network, leveraging your network, and, and taking help where it comes in. Like, but like looking, reflecting over the past almost ten years now since 2013 when you opened, the mistakes you made, the the the, the, the lessons that you wish you could have given yourself then that you know now. Like, what mm-hmm. is that stuff? You know, I mean, from from even even if you go back into the part of the story where I said that all of that, all of the, the cooks and sous chefs that were with me at that time at Amsterdam cafe went on to be, you know, leaders. And I've gotten the opportunity to go back and cook with some of them in their restaurants. It's, it's been awesome. But when I opened acre, there was a real opportunity now, uh, to get noticed and, and to have these opportunities. And I mean, nobody's coming to Auburn, Alabama, unless it's sports. Mm-hmm. People don't come here to dine. So yes, to, to find a way into James Beard world took a lot of effort, grind, digging and sacrifice. Um, you know, now opening the doors of acre, I have two children now, you know, fast forward, I've got, uh, you know, my son who's a year and a half and my daughter who's, you know, five, six months old on the other hand. Yeah. And we already had bags in our eyes from raising these two kids. And now it's my wife and I are like smiling 
you know, out in the front of the door here. With inside, you're like struggling to stand. Yeah, up. And, but inside, it was like I'm. I'm still like have no idea what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I still just like f- moving from one task to the next, and I and I wish right now that it wasn't just about checking boxes and getting the task done. But so let's paint the picture about what Acre was and is today, what the vision was. Get into mm. that. You know, how many seats? Uh, now after like expanding throughout the years, uh, it's 158. What'd you start with? Uh, well, we had, we had porches that were open, like the little glass porch in the front. When you walked in, it was wide open to the element. So in the winter it was closed, super hot summer, loads of flies closed. Um, this little area, right. Kind of where we're sitting used to be a porch out that little, that little room there, yeah. um, and closed it. So we, we've added permanent seating, heated and cooled. Uh, but it used to be like in the 130-ish. Okay. Um, so not too much, like another 28 seats. Yeah, but but has made a difference. Yeah, for um, sure. And so, the, you know, the overall vision of it was continue the story where I left off. Yeah. And continue the story, but also heighten it. And that story is making relationship with the farmers and the growers and the, you know, the the just the, your community the people the purvey yeah so i mean this is so much about paying homage to grandpa kennedy and the farm and the way that my family lived to better the land mm-hmm. and you know opening this opening this restaurant i was like well it's going to be a brand new building how do i get more stories in it and give it more of a pulse and a heartbeat so it's like more alive than just a frame Look at this cool building. Yeah. So we went through and, and like cut down woods and harvested things. And so if you're looking around just where we're sitting, um, you know, you're looking at like all these old beams above the bar in there. See that little ceiling? We'll have B-roll too. So if you guys are listening to this, oh, you'll yeah. see it. And right behind your head, see that picture? Yeah. That was a hundred-year-old general store. Oh, wow. And once you peel that outside layer that you're seeing, looks like a cabin, but underneath was a log cabin. Oh, cool. And they just framed around it. So... A hundred-year-old barn went up to to make this cool old roof. This is my grandpa's fishing basket above oh, our heads. I was curious about that. I saw from that. 1970. I, I stole it. He never knew I took it. But um, <laughs> Then all the wood in the bar, all that fresh oak that wraps all the way to the top. Grandpa Kennedy and I went and handpicked those oak trees, yeah. cut them down, dried them, um, and brought them up here and wrapped it in wood from the farm. So the lesson here is that you can start with a new building, but you can inject history into it. You can tell a story with, oh, yeah. with the process of building it, building it intentional to have that nostalgia. Yeah. So now when, when people walk in or I'm giving the tour, I'm literally pointing to memories and nostalgia, and, um, all of it with intention. Unique to you and your story and this, the town too, right? Yeah. So, you know, so now it's connecting. Why do I go after farmers? Not because I want to be part of Californian cuisine takeover or the farm to table trend, but my family already did that. Yeah. Like if, if I was not a good grandson, then I would not have been taught that lesson from grandpa Kennedy. Like I, he, he showed my family the way to do it. Where now even my middle brother, Ben, the engineer I was telling you about, he just quit that job to go take the farm over. Wow. And he's like, I'm, He's, you know, 43. He's like, I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to take over the farm. That's awesome. Like he's, he's excited about it. And, you know, it's, it's in the family trust. And all of it has been shut down for X amount of years. And he's going to go in the second season of life and try to get it going. That's awesome. But on the same property, too, you're on an acre, correct? And That's that, right. was that intentional to be able to 
grow and source from the property? Was that always part of the vision? We were looking for a land that was sizable enough that I could go plant around, you know, the perimeters and whatever. And when I, I, I took the builder, yeah. same one, the kick in the dirt, and told me no. And now he's partner in the property. Um, he owns half of it. Well, he owns forty percent of it. Yeah, he owns this little pad right here. Uh, but it's just been like that for ten years. Got so it. I'm trying to buy it now. Uh, but that being said, I walk out out here with him and I look at it and say, well, how how big is this lot? And he said, well, it's one acre. Well, one, 1.09 acres. And I said, acre, acre. Cool. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? I was like, acre. So we'll call it. And so I started building it with that in mind, how grandpa used to use every inch of the land, everything that he did. He had gardens planted on parts, fruit trees planted around perimeters, you know, he, he he filtered certain ponds where he was raising fish. We go through a filter system, create it, make like fertilizer. He'd use the fertilizer in the fields. So Natural I wanted cycle. Yeah, yeah, so I wanted to figure out a way to be a good steward of this acre. And so I was like, well, I'd love to plant gardens and fruit trees all around the perimeter. My brother, the doctor, before he became a doctor, followed his passion and became a wholesale tree farmer and like a nursery, all on Grandpa's farm. And grandpa gave him the back 40, 40 acres to go and, and try to be a, a wholesale grower. And so he grew all of the fruit trees and everything that's on the property. All of that came from the family. Wow. And we just transplanted them here. After a while, he realized there's not a lot of money in wholesale growing. So he said, I'm going to take the MCAT. He passed it. Now he's a doctor. So that's a little shift. Yeah. It's like, but I mean, one of the things I'm curious about and why I was first looking at this, because I know you source product from the, the land. You also source from mm-hmm. local purveyors, farmers. Um, were you profitable from day one? Were you, was this like a, a financial success from day one? Yeah. I mean, you know, we were obviously, as you open a restaurant, you, you project out X amount of losses for how long until it tips the scale. Um, and you set up reserve tanks for that. You set up your whole budget to save that money. So you slowly chip away at the losses till you just start just paying your, you know, your basic grocery bills, um, you know, and your lease rates or whatever it is, or pay the bank. Um, we, we jumped out pretty good right out of the gate. And I guess just given the price point, the amount of people that were waiting and watching, and you got to realize we're in Auburn, Alabama, and there's just not a lot of restaurants here. Yeah. I think that was one of the really smart things that anybody could do. And that what you did is you open a restaurant where you have roots. Because you have those relationships. You, your name is known. People are paying attention. They know you. Like you would have, would you have the same amount of success someplace else where you had to start all those relationships from scratch? And you're, pull, you're pulling people in that are a part of this community. It's not just you. It's people that you're pulling in yeah. that are, are invested in this. The, you know, like, and that becomes special to them too. Yeah. So you know, building the rapport for X amount of years at that restaurant down the street, that was the opportunity to build trust and relationships and a following. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm grateful to the owners because they allowed me to do that on their dime. Yeah. I have no, I don't like the way it ended, but there was 99% of the rest of it. That was so invaluable. Yeah. That it'll never remind me of how I felt in that moment when they parted ways with me and sent me off on my own to figure it out. And you know, I just continued to bust through walls until yeah. we got open. Did you make mistakes with Acre? 
that you can like, does any like big mistake come to mind things that you wish you would have done differently oh yeah i mean my, my first menu concept when i say like ego this and that and yada yada and all the things that can get in the way of success and right out of the gate you know i had some some magazines like statewide magazines that wanted to come and be a part of the soft opening and and I remember one of the the magazine owners said, you know, I just think the way you have it worded in the in the menu, I think it's just going to hurt you in the long run. You may want to tweak that. And I'm like in my first week, like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you got a booger in your nose. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with you? Anyways, but, you know, so I'm like, well, damn it. Okay. So I go back and look at it. Like, it is a little tchotchke. And, uh. I changed the menu in the first week and the staff's like, you just, the whole layout? I'm like, yeah. yeah, dude. Uh, but that, you know, what'd you change? I was trying, I was, I was gonna like really take all the things that I'd been doing, the, the farm to table, the, you know, nose to tail, everything. And like, or I was using all the stuff, but this one had a lot more charcuterie and O'Fall and different things and lots of seafood and shrimp heads and, you know, it was just progressive. It was just yeah. like that's that was what the that's what you originally had. Well, that's what I was doing. So I was trying to find a way to get the city of Auburn to like, like follow along and just be like, here's a safe column, here's a more aggressive column, and here's like the balls to the wall column okay. of food. You're that talking was, about literal literal columns on a menu. Columns on a menu that like yeah. go here for your safety net. Yeah, and so I called it the family, the farmer, and the foodie. Okay. Like it just said family, like that was the title. And it was like our fresh ground burger. And this is what you abandoned. And then the the, the farmer was like all the vegetables and farm fresh and this and yeah. yada yada. And then over here, the foodie was like different old falling. Where you just blah, blah, experimenting. Yeah, yeah. Like just having fun. and. But I like that. I mean, I think it's cool to have that outlet where like you and your team feel like they're, they're continuing to learn and grow. Yep. Then you have your safety net like, hey, like if you want a burger or, or like a fryer, or, you know, whatever, something like your 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 staples. Right. Well, and so but in in removing it, got rid of the forced feeling and where I was like forcing it into the public to like accept the concept and just like trusting that we're going to make good food and if I train our servers well enough, they'll be able to guide you Got it. without it being on the menu. Got it. Because one of the things I hate the most is when all the staff says, can't we just put that on the menu somewhere? Can't we, can it just be on the, in, in the bottom? Yeah. Can we list all the dressings? Yeah. Like, no, but what are you for? Yeah. Like, no, like no entitlement. Like put your hands down. I'm not filling up with, with cash. Go and work and serve. I have noticed this with the tablets. Where like you ask a question, you're like, "What ciders do you have on?" Menu? It's on the tablet. Yeah, they're like, "Hold on one second. They're swiping through the menus trying yeah. to find what's there. I mean, you should commit a certain level to memory. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> it, it the way I describe it to them is this is a UC restaurant. Yeah. This is a business incubator. I'm allowing you to lease a section of my restaurant every night. You get your section. I'm allowing you to make money, right? I'm allowing you to do and sell you and sell your like your style within the the confinements of of our concept. But you can go out here and you may sell as much as you want. You can upsell, do everything. You may be the best tour guide in the world as a server in the front of the house. But if you don't invest in any of it, your little business section is going to fail. 
and you're not going to make a lot of money and you're going to be upset at, at Karen next to you and Bob because they're both crushing it. You're like, why do they get so much money? They get the good section. Be like, well, we just put them in your section last night and they crushed you too. Like you're just, you got, you have to invest front to back, top to bottom at the host stand. You know, even what I'm doing now, now when we're like, when, you know, you talk about investing money or spending money to make money, you know, one of the things I finally realized was that I don't like just the front of the building. Yeah, we have this farm and everything here, but recently I took my general manager and I said, what if we like turn this whole courtyard into like awesome where nobody really wants to sit out here because it's Alabama and it gets a hundred degrees, 100% humidity (laughs) and it can also snow. It's like the weirdest, most violent, like grossness, harshness of seasons. And you get like 30 days of spring and 30 days of fall, sometimes even shorter. But let's let's do it. So we literally just bought all this furniture you can see out the window, umbrellas. We did the rope lights. I bought these concrete planters. And like, and the staff were like, why are you doing that? And I said, well, it's not necessarily about how many people we sit out here in the courtyard. It's that when they pull up and park their car or go to valet, they get out of their car. Their first impression is a little college valet kid and walking up a concrete thing. And then their real first impression is just the host or hostess at the door. But now I've made it magical. Yeah. You get out of your car and you step out and there's rope lights glowing down the thing and Japanese maple and these concrete planters and corn popping up in these little gardens. And people used to always take their selfie in front of the door or on the outside of the door where the sign is. And now I, I, I told my GM this. I said, watch, we're going to move the selfie station. It's going to go farther and farther down the experience. So now like a vineyard in California, you're walking in like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm going to live here. Yeah. And so now walking up, and this is just, I'm the chef. And this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how do I get, if you think about it as defense, Like, how do we play defense more? It's how do you break down the guest walls faster? Mm. How do you make them more vulnerable to enjoy you and your restaurant faster? Do you wait for them to sit down and it's just the chef? Does the host and hostess have a play in it? Like, where does the experience start where they start to enjoy your product? So now I've made mine the second you you, you step out of your car, my impression's there. Got it. Like my garden starts, the ambiance walks in, it's created all the way to the front and it softens the blow for the entire team. So as the restaurateur, restaurant owner, chef, whatever, my investment was I've already softened the blow before it got to any of y'all. Now do your job. Now do the work. Now sell your station, sell your area, like be hospitable at the host stand, greet them, love them. And watch this all pay, you know, this return on our investment. Mm. So the, I think I loved all that. Yeah. Great lessons and all of that. Back to this, the idea of the menu. You opened with a certain menu. You abandoned that. Um, you, you launched the new menu where you're leaning now more on your team to explain things. You don't rely on the system that is the menu to, exp- to sell. That's mm-hmm. kind of, is there, is there any more to that? Well, I mean, it wasn't necessarily that I, I changed the menu and made it all one-sided you know, onto the serving staff is that I just changed it to more traditional headings like butcher's block area, vegetable driven area, you know, so now it, it was just more, I guess, standardized. Got it. Um, as opposed to 
like thematic where it was or, or a concept of family farmer and foodie. Now it was just a little bit more readable and easy. And, you know, all the appetizers were together, all the snacks together, the butcher's block area where we're doing all the in-house charcuterie together. All the O'Fall was up there with it. And so you could just kind of go around, which is, so that was one of the mistakes that, that I'm, I was probing for before. Is that the, the lesson is that you, what was the lesson there? The, the lesson is find a way when you have criticisms coming in and trying to define which one is criticism and which one is a good suggestion and being able to block the noise out and, and listen when people are trying to help you. In this case, I immediately was like a little rubbed the yeah. wrong way yeah. by, by you know, this, this magazine owner and said like, well, you know, we're just kind of kickstarting here. I mean, that was, did you enjoy the food? Like, no, no, yeah, we loved everything. Just, uh, you know, this is just, it's a little, just it's a suggestion. And then they could tell I was rubbed a little wrong. And then I, I kind of, obviously I festered on it like a wart on my nose. I just kind of like, all I could do is stare at it. Like, oh my God. Like all of a sudden the blinders were off and I'm like, you get so in the hustle and flow of trying to get everything launched, opening a restaurant that, you know, it's hard to listen to good advice or decipher like what's good and what's noise. Yeah. You've made your decision. You invested, you put money into the yeah. build out, the design, the, the menu design. And now someone's telling you, you got to change it. You're like, why can't you just like what I'm trying to yeah. do? Well, everything <laughs> is personal now. Yeah. You have invested all of your, your, your life and your heart and your future and, and that of your family, your legacy, all of that is in, in like your hands and you can like be entitled and expect it to just make profit or whatever, or, or you can continue to work hard and polish and go with the ebbs and flows and be, allow opportunity to be vulnerable. Mm. Allow a chance to be a little vulnerable to the people that are trying to help you. And in that case, I did. And it immediately made some changes. Yeah. And immediately made it easier for everybody in the restaurant to drive the car. Everybody can drive it better now. Yeah. The servers can drive it better. They don't have to spend five minutes saying, this is the family. Explaining this, how the menu works. This one's for you. <laughs> yeah. This is the farmer. This one's definitely for you. You said you're a foodie, so this is where you go. And, I, and now that you're mentioning it, I've, I've had the experience where I go to a restaurant. They're like, is this your first time here? Yes. Oh, let me explain to you how our menu works. Yeah. And the menu should work the same no matter where you go. I kind of feel like, I mean, I, I feel like some people are trying to create like a journey or whatever, or like mm. you mix and match, they get too creative and it complicates things. And the, half the time of the table goes towards explaining yourself, yep. not selling. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if at a restaurant, well, I realized that also you have to, you have to think about as a, as a business person, what size business did you create? What is this? Like what size scale? Are you trying to operate? Some of that concept probably would have been great if it was a little bit smaller of a restaurant, you know, a smaller imprint where it was more farmy feeling or it was more localized feeling. In, in this situation, this restaurant was, it was pretty big. It needed to be like a little bit more professional, have a little bit more boundaries. And um, I, I don't know, I, I, I guess... It needed to have an opportunity to allow the staff a little bit more consistency. And it was it was tough when you put a tchotchke concept in that doesn't quite fit the size or scale of your business model. So I put something in that protected everybody and allowed 
for the business model to, to, to operate a little bit smoothly or, or more smoothly. Got it. Um, is there like on this idea of like lessons learned things you, you learned the hard way, anything come to mind, any lesson you can, things that if you would have done differently over the years, over 10 years in business now. Yeah. You know, I think were there evolutions there was, you know, definitely the first thing that comes to mind is, is how much I sacrificed going after certain things like nominations and um, opportunities I missed with my children when they were little. And, you know, obviously I have a great presence in their lives and um, it was, sorry, you're fine. Perfect the microphone. It's too much coffee. <laughs> yeah, There's a frog in here. Um, but, you know, m- making sure that you, understand and weigh the most important things in your life and because i was so like driven to get those nominations and get those things in in my career and be noticed for a one man nomination that you know i i pushed a lot of things that were important or or put the weight of the value of those things and and didn't make it the, the focus of what i do in my life and so I do regret that. Um, my children know I love them. Yeah. And they don't remember any of those days. Would you have, do you think you would have been as successful without the nominations? I think they obviously, they contributed to so much. Um, and so does James Beard and the, and the entire reason for James Beard Foundation and what they do and the success that they have and, um, and all of the ways that they impact every single thing about uh, our industry. So yeah, they obviously, they helped a ton. Yeah. I think this town was, if you look at it now and you look at this culinary explosion, I think just getting open, we had, it already had its effect. It was already put into play. And the minute we got open, it was successful. The town was craving it. And, and so many people in Auburn were still hesitant, like, well, I still just go to Birmingham for, you know, hot and hot and... um and Highland Bar and Grill, and or we'll go to the lake and go to Spring House, and but Auburn's not really, yeah. So we had to get over the hump, and and eventually, you know, we did. And but Auburn, you know, just as any town, people still have their turf, they still have the places they like to go eat. There's still plenty of people that just don't want to come here, yeah, and that's okay. So one of the things I, I push back on the James Beard and like Michelin Star and other award. Com- particularly James Beard and Michelin because they carry so much weight. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people chase those awards sometimes and they feel like they haven't made it unless they get it. Oh yeah. What my concern with that is, is the type of restaurant that gets that award is very operationally dysfunctional, dysfunctional, uh, hungry, financially hungry beast. Yep. There's not a lot of margins to be made when you're trying to get recognized and seen for the food you're doing. Well, the I mean, is that a wrong statement? I don't like. This is just my opinion. I don't want to put thoughts and opinions into your mouth. No, I mean it's it's you know there's there's obviously both sides of that argument or or that statement saying that it it is completely possible, completely possible to be a successful business person and go after James Beard and. And I did that. You know, I, I was I was able to do that and balance uh, a successful business operation and the heightened level of cuisine that takes to qualify for the standard of a James Beard nomination. 
even as a semifinalist. And yeah, it was, it was, it was always heartbreaking year after year for four years straight to, to not move on to a finalist. Um, especially when I was at the height of like every day in the kitchen, grinding all day and, and, and performing at that level and then going on, you know, Iron Chef and winning and showing America that I can hit this this caliber, and you know. But yes, there are so many people that focus on how much smoke and flare and and so much theatrics that you lose focus, or you lose focus of sustainable business operations. That, yeah. We're not talking about sustainable as in like sustaining the economy. We're talking about like, can you keep the doors open? Can you keep the doors open yeah. and pay your team? Fiscal sustainability. You know, are you treating them right? Mm. Cause so many people were like, well, we're going to perform at this level, treat you like a dog, yada, yada, yada. And I'm not even pointing out any restaurant. I have no, like somebody's listening's like, he's talking about us. Like, no, I'm not. I yeah. just, trust me, I don't. It's, I don't, a, it's happening everywhere. Yeah, it's I don't have like, the time in, in my day to think about examples yeah. of somebody else that's failing. Um, however, yeah, I mean, if you focus on the wrong things and you lose sight of, of why you're doing what you're doing, if you literally built it and got everybody else, you know, bamboozled into thinking that they're investing into you because you won an award, you think you win. But really, yeah, you're going to burn yourself out you're not going to make financial sense. It's not going to land on paper. You can't have sustainable growth for your team. They can't get raises when they need a raise. Quality of life raises. Like they're not getting treated properly. But you got a nomination. Like So that was never the focus here. The, the day that we got our first nomination, we were actually sitting. I was, we were on this porch out here, and we were having our leadership meeting. I have at, at, now at both restaurants every Monday – and ours, ours actually here. I know we're going late, man. We're almost at like like recording time, two hours. Oh well, we're good. We're, we're, <laughs> it just keeps going, and I'm loving the conversation. Yeah, well, you just you cut it off whenever. But no, I don't want to. But you tell me if you got to get going. Yeah, but we were we were sitting on the porch, and you know we got cameras here, and we were sitting on the porch, and I had all my leaders, and we do like we do that meeting, and I eventually decided I'm even going to close the restaurant those days for lunch, so there's nobody here. We all get quiet time. All the leaders, we sit in the in, in a room and we talk about the things happened during this week and what we're doing for next week and future growth potential. What are we doing? What are we fixing? What are we going after? How do we do it as a team and move forward? That's what this for. You know, it's all leadership, all of our managers, front to back, chefs, sous chefs, bam, you know, pastry chefs, mixologists, bartenders, like leaders, the sommeliers, general managers. And we're all in that room and and then somebody texted me. Congrats, bro! Congrats, and I'm like, huh? And I look over, and people are looking at me, and all of a sudden, my phone's like, ding, 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 and I'm like, nomination. And I look up, and it was my buddy Rob McDaniel from Springhouse goes, bro, you got a nomination, man. That's awesome. And I literally like put my phone down. I looked at the team. I'm like, y'all, like we were so doing what we're doing. I lost track of the fact that it was James Beard nomination announcement yeah. day. When I say like you can be successful and keep doing what you're doing and it happen. And some people go after it politically, make it happen. And some people fight after it and dog their employees and staff and they make it happen. You just got to pick the one that's most sustainable and makes you happy where you can sleep at the end of the day. And in this case, we all got up on camera. We had it. That's what we posted. Our, our like 
James Brew nomination wasn't like me holding a, you know <laughs> yeah. a badge and like you know it takes a team an Apple army. It was a video of us on surveillance footage getting up, high fiving, and we all hugged in the middle. <laughs> That's awesome. And that was it. That, that was James Beard nomination. It's weird. Like I don't want to take away from that because it is a great honor to have to, to be recognized. Um, it's just something that I feel like there's so much energy around it, and I see people getting in trouble financially because of what it takes, labor, uh, cost of goods, all these things to get that recognition. In the time where it's, you know, those restaurants are becoming more and more difficult to make successful. Yeah. Um, like what's the solution? What are we, what, what should we be rewarding people? Like what should be the narrative? Like, is it, how well do I take care of my team? Do I, am I creating opportunity for other people? Am I providing security? Mm-hmm. You know, am I creating, like what, like what should the narrative be? What should the goal be? I mean, the, the goal is like, do your very best to treat people right. Spread love in your building and make it financially successful. Yeah. And if all that works out for you and you have the capability and you have the potential and you, you literally have the desire and the ability to achieve your goals and one of those happens to be a James Beard nomination, then bro, sis, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen because people believe you. Mm. And when you're believable, is all of that political? Yes. And we all know it. I'm not going to sit here and, and not talk about, you know, the big elephant in the room. Like it's definitely there. Yeah. It's definitely political and to get on it, it's political and to get knocked off is political. Mm-hmm. I got on it politically and got knocked off of it politically. Do I care? No. Was I sad the first day? And I was like, ah, oh, the hell with it. Whatever. What do you mean you got knocked off politically? What does one have to do? To well, I don't knocked mean like knocked off, off politically. Just meaning that, that, yeah, they, they send in a certain, you know, people to come in and taste. And I was balls deep opening up, the second restaurant and second restaurant was struggling and some of the concept was struggling at bow and arrow. I had to make some massive changes. I had to make personnel changes. I had to, I had to make leadership changes and I was going through like a really like difficult maneuver over there, which took my, my off the ball here. Yeah. Did you have a different goal with bow and arrow? Yeah. I mean, it was all Texas style barbecue, but acre paying homage to Alabama and, Grandpa and the, and the farming industry and and our living off the land and bow and arrow paying homage to my time in Texas in the hill country out in San Antonio is actually Holotus. I which, love it out there; it's gorgeous. Holotus, which is kind of like closer towards like San Marcos and Austin on the edge, and Holotus is where like Willie Nelson started his career. Robert Earl Keane. Think about like country yeah. like hill country legends. So was there? A, sorry, want to finish your thought? Well, I was just saying all all, all of that is is why I built Bow and Arrow because that's how I really cut my teeth cooking. Yeah, I cut my teeth doing brisket, sausages, ribs. Yeah, and and making bacon egg and you know bacon egg tacos and chorizo and potato tacos mm. on a campfire in a skillet. I lived in Austin, in, Texas for almost a collection of like maybe nine months. Yeah. I was out there. I love it out there, man. You're bringing back memories right oh, now. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. But I'm talking like fiscal objective. Was there a, like, because I know I've seen it time and time again where you have like James Beard or Michelin star chefs who, you know, the white, like the white tablecloth type chefs or, mm-hmm. or just doing high level dining, high touch dining, mm-hmm. um, who the second restaurant they open tends to be something that, is high quality. It's uh, I see a lot of barbecue, honestly, barbecue restaurants that open. Is it because that there's better margins? Is it because it's something that you can 
you can create like a little cash cow that can help bring in cash while you focus on your passion. Like I make, I'm stretching here cause we're almost at two and a, we're over two hours now and I want to kind of just get to it. Like what was the, was there business strategy behind opening bow and arrow? You know, I, I think just as every entrepreneur is an opportunity to say like, do I have more in the tank? Mm. Is there more opportunity in the tank? And you know, when, when, I'm obviously goal-oriented, but I also like to have goals on paper. Mm-hmm. I like to look at things and, and write them down so I can see my goals and see the path that's ahead to reach those and get there and um, like opening Acre as a goal. You know, starting, well, starting a family first, opening yeah. Acre, get a James Beard nomination, yada, 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 and, and all of those things. I, when Iron Chef, that was on my goal list when I first wrote it. And holy crap, all those things happened. Um, but then I look at things that are long-term like, what does retirement look like? How, how is that going to work? Now that I'm invested in, and love the staff and the, and the people that I have and my leaders, how can I get more of them longevity and retire? If they're not going to go and start a restaurant right now, then what is it like if I build the lane for them to have retirement? And so at the time, I had the right group of people to go, and I wanted to tell that story of, of Texas Hill Country. People ask all the time, like, you have a lot of, like, southwestern influence in your food lots of chilies and guajillos and in alabama stuff you have french dishes with mexican influence i'm like yeah man i can't get it to go away it's there (laughs) yeah it's part of me um you know so in this situation was i want to tell the story i want a place where i can have that feeling and that vibe that reminds me of home when you say man i just bringing me so many awesome memories of the hill country i don't ever get to go home anymore my parents left Texas and came back to Alabama. So I was like, well, if I want to have that experience, then I'm going to have to just build it. And so I, I did, and I put all the leaders in place and and provided those those jobs and provided opportunity for growth growth, and all of them to have bonuses and incentives you know, attached yeah. and, and to give them goals and to launch their careers and, and very transparently tell them, especially my main leaders that I'm like trying to get on the band together and say, you know, unless you have another goal right now, if I am your goal, bro, like then we're going to have to do this. If you want to retire and you want to do such and such, then then we're going to have to build something else and you're going to have to get more capacity. Yeah. You're going to have to take on more, hire leaders underneath you, train those leaders underneath you so you can move up, get out of that seat, stop being in this seat, stop being in that seat, come in this big seat and go hire more people over here then let's go buy a piece of land. And so I'm, I'm creating and, and, and making opportunity for some of my leaders yeah. to have opportunity at retirement. Yeah. I mean, that's, I love this man. And what you're sharing now is, you know, I echo it often. Two things determine growth, cash flow mm-hmm. and people. And when your people hit a ceiling and you know, they're going to go off to do their own thing or to go work for somebody else that offers them an opportunity. But when you're layers deep of people who deserve more, you know, where you, mm-hmm. where you, where you only can have so many GMs, you know, you only have yeah. so many people in, in certain seats. You got to go build more seats to grow people, to move people up. Right. Because they're going to go, you taught them everything. Like you, you they're an extension of, of your, your values. You hired them, mm-hmm. you trained them to hang on to those people, create opportunity, create vertical growth for them. And that's the next restaurant. Right. Oh yeah. Well, that's what I'm hearing from you right now. And that's, that's where we're kind of looking yeah. for a piece of land yeah. now. I mean, we, we are 
35 minutes over our agreed upon time as far as I, I'm good, bro. I mean, you I, just, I'm loving this conversation. I'm just letting it go. Honestly, with the research, I know that you didn't have much restaurant experience before this. So I mm-hmm. thought that it was gonna be a much faster conversation, but I'm, I'm loving that it's not. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool to keep going. I do want to ask, is there anything we did not talk about? Anything that you were hoping that would come out of today's conversation or something that you think you, you're uniquely qualified to give advice on? Something that, that should come out before we go to the speed round. No, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I feel like we, we, we got into some of the nitty gritty yeah. for sure. Um, you know, it's important to, to note and point out that I've had plenty of failure. Um, and I don't tout or gloat on the things that we've done or, you know, winning Iron Chef was great. Business was unbelievable for nine months following and, and now it's over. The show's not even on the air anymore. Right. It's on Netflix now. Yeah. Like those were all great. But none of it was sustainable. Mm. We're talking about not sustainability in your community saying like, we're a sustainable focused restaurant. Like, this is what we do. Like, you need to be a sustainable business. You need your whole, your whole operation, even your life to be sustainable. All of it. And that is the entire package. And if you're not good enough at it, and you obviously have some slow bleeds in your restaurant, your business, you need to go get people on your team that can do it. Or find mentors to help show you where your, your, your holes are and your leaks. And you need to listen. But, I mean, a lot of times you got to get out of the way. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, that's the hard part. When I say, you know, now my focus is the reverse and I'm looking at, at my leaders and sometimes I sit them down and I say, give me your list of goals now. Mm. What is yours? I don't, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing success. You're great. You're awesome. But, What's the next layer? How can I help you get to where yeah. you're trying to go? You can share whatever it you want, or you can keep some of it out. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to tell me any of these things, but if you want to, write these goals down. Let me look at them and see if I can go ahead and tell you, like, I failed here. Don't do this, but do this. It'll be great. This is where I failed, too. This is where I asked for help. I asked for help over here. I found a mentor here. Go talk to this person. And they're like, where were you asking for help? Well, I just meant like, you know, asking my dad to come yeah, in, yeah. asking my builder to come and help, you know, and the, I called the mayor one day and said, you know, I need some help. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm in a small town, so yeah. you can call the mayor. If you're in Atlanta or something, yeah, you're not, you're not calling you. the mayor. So the mission statement here is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you personally transformed? Who's, who are you today? Who's David Bancroft today versus Chef David Bancroft when you got started? I mean, I, I love any opportunity to just mentor now or any opportunity to share transparently those things and opportunities that were created or that were basically forced upon me that, that created change and created opportunity to find success, create success, stubbornly push past hurdles to get success. Um, you know, earlier part, there was obviously a lot of that already happening but definitely there was so much of it that just needed validation. Mm. So much of my earlier part of my career was like, if I don't check these boxes on this goal sheet, I will not have validation. I want to, I want to prove this to my parents, to my brothers, and I want to prove this to my wife. And would you say almost vindication because of what was expected, the path that was expected from you? And like, I need to prove that, I need to vindicate myself that this is a path that I can go on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as far as 
I never ever looked at it as entrepreneur. Yeah. I never said, hi, I'm David. I'm a business entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you do? Like, I was always chef. Yeah. I am chef. Yeah. And, and so, so, I mean, the first five, six years, nobody called me chef. Yeah. At Amsterdam Cafe. Nobody said, yes, chef. No, chef. Did I have the entire brigade there? Yes. Was the whole system structured like that? Yes. Did anybody call me chef? No. And as soon as I opened Acre, boom. Yes, chef. No, chef. Yes, chef. And I'm like, that's a little militant, <laughs> but okay. And so now, I mean, I'll, I'll be at a football game at Auburn, like watching Auburn play Alabama in the Iron Bowl. And I'll be with my GM, you know, or one of them, and, and we'll be there and be like, hey, chef, you want me to get you a beer? And I'm like, well, actually, they don't do beer at the stadium, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? They're like, hey, chef. I'm like, hey, man, we're at the football game. You ain't got to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, we're at your little kid's birthday party. You don't have to call me <laughs> chef here. I get you. On my son's baseball team, they call me Coach Chef. Yeah. Coach Chef. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, you know, looking at the, the, I mean, vindication, but, but for me was, all you know, embarrassment of dropping out of school mm-hmm. to validate it for myself. I wanted to be vindicated for my family and be proven, but also I was embarrassed. I'm still embarrassed that I don't have my degree. Mm. Um, although I learned it along the way, and, you know, I, I I now receive Auburn alumni mail yeah. and emails. I mean, we live in a special time right now, man, where you had to go to school to get the information, to get access to the books, to the access to the network, the people that had the knowledge that could teach you the knowledge. We live in unprecedented times where I don't really think you need to go to college, dude. Like there's so much information out there today. If you want to learn something, if you have the drive, the desire, oh, yeah. there's nothing in your way, dude. Like, and I think that's a part of the issue with society today is we, we send people off to go and like, welcome to adulthood, adulthood. Here's yeah. debt. You know, like that's not how you want to start adulthood. Like you want, you know, it's just, it's just not, it's backwards, but we're so stuck in our ways. We're mm-hmm. not willing to recognize the world we live in today. We can find resources. We can find community. We can find people. We are more connected than ever before. We don't need a lot of the old systems that were there. I mean, but you look at those systems and how even the government invested in college debt yeah. and college tuition and were backing the colleges to make sure that everybody was encouraged to eat your food pyramid this way, yeah. full of carbs and bread, so we could, you know, create mass, you know, economic, you know, problematic systems of, of farming and food culture, yeah. of how we're supposed to eat, because the triangle pyramid says we're supposed to do it like this, yeah. to also then turning around and doing it, creating massive amounts of college debt that you're seeing now, people are trying to reverse and argue about, but that's because our society and our country is forcing that down everybody's throat. Yeah. And- yeah, you could create a million arguments in any direction on what you believe in your values and who's most right and wrong and what Democratic Party, Republican Party, whatever it is. However, it's blatantly obvious that, you know, I saw somebody the other day sent me this meme and it was like 100 black ants and 100 red ants are in a jar and they'll sit there and just work around each other. They'll just keep on going. All of a sudden, you take the jar and you shake it up. And they all look at each other and freak out and panic. Like, who did it? The red did it. The black ants did it. And they start fighting each other. And they'll literally start killing each other off. And then the meme said, like, but nobody realized who shook the jar. Like, that's yeah. our economy. That's, yeah. that's, that's what we're trying to reverse now. Yeah. All the way from food systems to debt to, you know, you talk about college education. Yeah. Where, 
people who used to go learn a trade by getting their hands on the trade. Yeah. Like, I think we need to get back to that. Honestly, I really do. Like, anyway, we could talk yeah. so much about this. Um, we do have to bust out a speed round, so we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be back to bust out a true speed round. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Charisma. What is your biggest weakness? Vulnerability. How are you overcoming your weakness? Transparency. So when you say vulnerability, do you mean you're not vulnerable enough or too vulnerable? Uh, I always look for the best in everybody and always think that I can pull it out of them. Mm. And sometimes you just get burned. Yeah. What is one thing you ask or thing you look for when you're going through the interview process or growing your team? Uh, investment. Investment in what? Investment in our culture and what we're doing in the restaurant, our story. Are they invested in us and what we're trying to do? Yeah. What is one of your biggest challenges today? Entitlement, entitlement in what? In our entitlement in our in, in trying to hire staff. Entitlement in the workforce these days. How are you overcoming that? Uh, goodness, uh, I mean, in all honesty, supporting my staff, encouraging them. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team: a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Yeah, the golden rule. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something common within the four walls of your restaurant. It's not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond what's expected. Awareness. I mean, to me, that's somebody just came in, lost their job, celebrating a job, celebrating a birth, a marriage, loss, got back from a funeral. Be aware of body language. Be aware of your surroundings and, and, 
invest in the story of what's happening and each night is different. Mm. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Letters to a Young Chef. Ooh. Author? Uh, Balud. Beautiful. Next question I have for you is what is one thing you don't think restaurant tours do well enough or often enough? Trust their leaders. What is one technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on your operations, communications, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? We switched to a lot of new brand POS systems. You switched to a lot of them? Well, I mean, sorry, we oh, tried a few. Let's <laughs> start that over. We, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to to move some of your POS systems and, and like reservation systems from the old dinosaurs, the ones that, that monopolized everything. Yeah. And it has been legacy. Ex- yeah. So like moving to resi and to toast and things. Yeah. We're extremely uh, open up ex- extreme consistency, fluidity. Um, it was more profitable that way. What is your, your, your favorite feature about say toast? Uh, honestly, the customer service. Yeah. And how did that make you more profitable? Well, the, the cost of these companies coming in at a, at a lower monthly mm-hmm. rate in comparison to the old dinosaurs of mm-hmm. the microses and the micros and open table and people that kind of just pigeonholed and, you know, it felt like you had to have that as the standard. Yeah. And then the compliance associated with that, staying compliant, where with the cloud-based POS, it just every time you update, every month you're compliant because you mm-hmm. get, it just does an automatic update, which takes care of compliancy. There's a bunch of reasons why. It's the new future. It's, it's, the, it's the new standard. Yeah, but the integration of like to-go portals and systems yep. that round out your business. I yep. mean, we, we my, when go back to what you said, like asking other leaders or trusting other leaders. One of my leaders said, Hey, I really want you to consider this. If we switch to these two companies and get rid of open table, get rid of micros. If we were to do this, not only does it show up on paper, everything's going to work great. And I'm like, so you want to all this database of customers and they're, and it's like all of it will transfer. It's like plugging in a phone to a new phone. You just hook it up. I'm like, so you want me to trust you? And I did. And it worked. It was unbelievable. Why was Resi better? Um, I mean, goodness. I'd love to say that I give all those answers, but if you pulled him in right now, he'd just like yeah. knock your socks off. Yeah. Um, there's tons of cool things coming. I will say that Toast is the number one recommended POS in the show. And if you want to support the show, you're opening a restaurant, go to the show notes of today's episode, just restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. There'll be a link there that you can click on. And clicking those links to sign up for these services go so far in helping what I'm trying to do out. So thank you in advance if you do. And this is the last question. Are you ready for it? If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, goodness gracious. Three That's pieces of one. wisdom. Um, I mean, follow your heart. One. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Two. Don't stop loving. Three. Chef David Bancroft, I've loved today's conversation. Thank you so much, man. You yeah, were, brother. You're a treat. And um, I'm really trying to get to the place where the industry decides who I talk to. 
kind of tired of being the filter of who gets to be made an example of. So who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Oh man. I mean, you know, getting an opportunity to, to, to travel around as a chef and, and you meet so many that are influential, um, you know, two that immediately just launched off the page when you said that were, um, Ashley Christensen and chef Ashley Christensen and chef Alon Shia. Ooh, Ashton Christensen and Balan Shia was actually one of my earlier guests. Alan, yeah, 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 he's great. I haven't had Ashton on the show. It's, it's Ashley, Ashley, thank you, Ashley Christensen. Where's she based? Uh, she's North Carolina. Got it. Going to be there in a couple months. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And is Alan Shia still in New Orleans? He has a restaurant in New Orleans and also in Colorado now. Okay, Alan, you're always welcome back on the show. I'd love to connect you with with you in person now and how can we connect with you if we were really just inspired by your story maybe we're in louisiana uh, not louisiana alabama sorry i was just in louisiana two months ago uh if you're if we're in alabama or anywhere and we want to come work for you what's the best way to connect i mean show up in the door you just yeah. walk in i mean you're a guest in our house for sure at both restaurants but you know obviously reach out on social media um want to throw a handle at us mine is as at David Bancroft and Instagram. I don't really do any others. Um, Facebook, David Bancroft. Beautiful. Website? Uh, my email is david at acreauburn.com. And then our website is www.acreauburn.com. Beautiful. And again, just go to the show notes. I'll have a link to any tool service or, uh, you know, anything that was mentioned in today's, the summary of today's discussion, as well as how to connect with Chef David at Bancroft over there. Thank you so much, my man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, bro. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef David Bancroft. And awesome stuff came out of today's conversation. Just the guts to get off of whatever path you were on, whatever path your family and friends had planned for you to, to override that, to follow your heart, to follow your passion and to, to start with no experience into man. This is just a super inspiring story. What chef David did uh, treat it like you own it. If you treat it like you own it, you don't have to own it, but if you treat it like you own it and you learn on someone else's dollar and you develop this track record, you, you need a track record of success. You need to be able to go to the banks and say, look at what I did. I'm worth investing in. That's exactly what chef David did today. And uh, super inspiring stuff. Thanks again, chef David. If you're finding value, in these episodes, if you're learning things in these episodes, if you want more podcasts like this, if you want us to get better, we need your support. And there's a ton of ways you can support the show. One way you can support the show is this is a new way, by the way. So open your ears. Don't just skip ahead or whatever you usually do toward at the end of this episode or all the episodes. Uh, one way you can help us is by taking our survey. So our primary customer, our primary focus is your listeners. But at the end of the day, what makes this show happen? I mean, we can't do it without the support of our sponsors and our sponsors want to know more about you, who you are. And the more information we have on you, our listeners, our, our market, the, the better sponsors we can get. And, um, the, the, the more the, the, the finer that picture is of who you are, we can get more money too. So what we need from you, if you would be so generous to do this for us is to head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 944 
in the show notes. We're going to have a link to take our survey. It's only 10 questions. They're not super invasive, but it's going to give us a much better idea of who our listeners are. So when we go to our sponsors, we can say this is exactly who's listening to our show, and this is exactly why you should sponsor our podcast. So uh, just take that survey. It will take you less than a minute, and thank you in advance. Uh, and and I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the other folks that make the show possible. Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcast and Sam Hall at SabinSam.com. Can't do it without you guys. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.